Hi, I'm Andrew Sheps, and welcome to episode 22 of Andrew Talks to Awesome People. In this episode is part two of my conversation with Tony Maserati. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. It is Monday, and uh, pretty soon, the other side of this screen will be Tony Maserati again. There he is. Hey, Tony. Hi, Hi all. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Good, my power is still not happening. Oh, well, in the interests of having an interview longer than about eight minutes, you want to get that sorted out before we uh, before we dive yeah, in? Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a good um, idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to... I think having the other end plugged in would be good. That's... You know, something about that that, that I, I think you're absolutely correct. About. Yeah, it's, um, it's always the number one thing in the uh, the operator manual. Is it plugged so, in? Can you tell me uh, that between the shores have have people seen that yet? No, 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 no. And we can't we can't talk about that yet. Oh, we can't even. No, no, no. We do. Everybody has to stick around to the very end because we have a little bit of an announcement at the end. Um, But I don't want to take away from our chat because that's what's important right now. Should we pick it up from where we left off? This is- well, I think so. I mean, first of all, we should point out that you are at Mirrorball today as opposed to your homeroom in in, yep. uh, in L.A. So that's why it looks different. He hasn't just remodeled. So we'll, we'll get to the whole Mirrorball entertainment thing a bit more later. Sure. But, yeah, let's just pick it up. So we ended with the epic, epic, epic tale of the Mariah Carey ODB fantasy track featuring mm-hmm. – a big sample of the Tom Tom Club, um, but yeah, just from there. I, I, I mean, I don't remember exactly where we left off, but but um, um, I did want to mention the fact that I it I used to um, I used to rollerblade around the live room because even you know we used a tiny little section of the live room to to record vocals, which was completely like gobo housed. I mean, essentially, yeah. it's like, yeah, like a complete gobo house. But it was a tiny little spot. You know, that room was like a basketball court. Oh, it was huge. I mean, I think you could yeah. get a 50-piece f- orchestra in there pretty comfortably. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so I used to, I used to, you know, to, to act, because in those days, we were in the studio for 20 hours or more a day. Yeah. So... Just for exercise, I used to rollerblade around that room, and uh, and and you know. And I'm sure they loved that because there's no way that marked the floor. I, w- I was going to say, I wonder if Troy and Eddie would, you know, curse me, and 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 then and then make some assistant. <laughs> get oh, down I'm sure. The- I'm sure. Hey, I forgot about that. Okay, never mind. That's Sorry funny. About- <laughs> Also, I want to point out that this was the era in New York, because um, this is what year, 91-ish, 2-ish, something. No, no, no. This is later than that. It's later uh, than that. Well, I, I, I was just curious, was the soup guy still going? Oh, yeah. Oh, the soup Nazi. The soup uh, Nazi, as depicted in that incredible episode of Seinfeld, he was a real dude and he wasn't that far from the studio. And when we worked there, they would have to send two runners because the first runner would get in line, get to where they could see what soups were there. 
this is pre-cell phone. So he'd run to the phone booth, call the studio, say, we got these soups, what's the order? Get the order, hand it back to the second runner who was yeah. in line and who was just getting up to the front. Because the lines yeah. were so long, there's no way you could wait twice and there's no way you could stop looking at what it was. That's correct. But I have to ask, had you ever gone and waited in line and not had an assistant get it? For I you? never got to, because like you, we were in the studio forever and I never got to actually go. Oh yeah, I've waited in that line and been freaked out to the point where he almost threw me out. <laughs> well, I have I have seen it firsthand. Like, you know, it, I, I don't know if you remember, um, oh, what was the Monty Python movie of uh the holy grail you know where where one of the skits is you know you have you're asked three questions you have to answer right. three questions and and one of the guys is like what is your favorite color <laughs> blue no yellow <laughs> ah! yeah, yeah you get thrown off a bridge to your death if you get it wrong that's, that's what that guy exactly was like how right you feel when you get into the soup knots you're like he's like you know, what do you want? And you're like, I want a, uh, 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 oh yeah, uh, you know, the, the lobster bisque. And then if you hesitate longer, and then it's like bread or 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 something else. And then you're like, ah, ah no bread. Oh, and you know, <laughs> like you go. <laughs> I I mean, it was it it was really scary. But the soup the was, was that good around the block, and the soup was the best soup by far. I had ever had to that point. I've had some close since then, but but to that point, I I didn't even know what soup was. Was he putting drugs in there? Like, what was the deal with I, it? It was I, amazing, I, though. It was the best soup. The I best. also want to point out that we did actually send runners to White Castle every once in a while, and the closest one was in Jersey City. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's it's <laughs> God. We're such dicks, you know. Go get sixty three burgers, because <laughs> they're all that big. Anyway, oh, that we're not here to talk about. Oh, we can't actually. We're here to talk about whatever we want. So, all right. So let's let's get back into the flow of things here. So this is it's the beginning of the Puff Dynasty. It's the beginning also though of your relationship with Tommy Mottola, which I think is a big deal. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I, as I had mentioned regarding that that little uh, snippet there about starting to work on on this Mariah thing and this remix, and Puff was you know completely confident and had a very friendly relationship with uh, with Tommy. I of course was very nervous and you know and and uh, but. Um, but, uh, you know, shortly after that, Tommy, you know, called me to a meeting in his office. And it was really uh, scary as well. <laughs> I don't know why these meetings are scary back then, but uh, I they think... had a lot of know, power. I mean, they had a huge amount of power. Those dudes, yeah, they did. I mean, I mean, he was one of, what, three or four, five people in the industry who kind of pulled all the strings and made yeah. start a lot of people and uh and um but anyway it, yeah the meeting was really nice it was friendly and you know he was of course a complete professional and gentleman um uh but after that 
um, I started actually working at their house at, at Tommy and Mariah's house. All right. So, um, because uh, Mariah was was doing this, um, you know, she had a production company, and and she was producing uh, an act, uh, and um, so they would, you know, they would send a limo for me because they lived up in in. I don't know, just north of the city. I can't remember. Like Westchester-ish something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't remember. Did they have a white um, castle up there? Because, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so they would set a limo. So, you know, I'm living Amazing. in the village. I'm on this little street. I'm, I'm living on Fifth Street at the time. And, you know, I lived in a shithole. I mean, you know, that's, that's New York. And plus, I didn't have a lot of dough. And, um, and. You know, so this is stretch limo waiting for me every morning or whatever time of day and blocking traffic, you know, so all the neighbors <laughs> were hating on me. And it was, I was like, oh, God damn. But, um, but it was nice. You know, they would send me a car and go up to their place and I'd be working in their awesome studio, in their awesome house. And, um, and it was great. And Tommy would come in. I mean, he like gave me a tour of the house himself. Wow! I was like, Don't you have like a an a tour guide? <laughs> yeah. but, you know, and uh, that was lovely. And, you know, really amazing place. And to see that that kind of place was, you know, just blew me away. Right. Not to mention just being able to go to the country and smell fresh air um, a few times a week. That was pretty awesome too. Um, but yeah, he he would. Tommy, from that point on, I think Mick Kozowski was his guy. Right. Mick was mixing. Yeah. Was Mick ever tracking for him or was he just mixing at that point? Um, Well, the Mariah stuff was tracked by this guy, Dana LaChapelle, who was pretty amazing. Um, I don't, I think Mick was just mixing, but I'm, I could be wrong because Mick had a place in, in the, in at least, a similar area. I don't know if it was in the same town, but it was close. Right. Right. Uh, from where Mariah and Tommy's house was. And, um, so it's, I, I remember Mick telling me that, that, you know, Eric Clapton had been to his place. I don't know if that he was doing any overdubs or something. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but anyway, I think I think Mick was was uh, Tommy's uh, main mixer, and Tommy was just sort of pulling on me occasionally for the more R and B and hip hoppy kind of things that he was doing, um, and and I was very appreciative. It was great, um, um, yeah, and I could never do what Mick did, so I never. As much as I tried, I couldn't <laughs> figure out what Mick was well, doing. Yeah, you got your own thing, but mix mix thing is mix thing, okay. and it's a it's a thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's very much a thing. So that kind of steered you a little bit. I mean, you're saying that like Mick was still doing all the pop stuff, but you were doing more kind of crossover acts because yeah. of Tommy at that point. Then, right? So not yeah. just sticking with bad boy records projects and kind of helping you branch out of that. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Tommy also had a close relationship with uh, a guy named Corey Rooney, who I had worked with quite a lot previously. 
he, he had a good relationship with Trackmasters, Poke and Tone, who I had done a lot of work with. Um, so he was pulling on them as well, and they would bring me in in the same way that Puff brought me in on the Mariah thing. Um, so, so our relationship became stronger and stronger because of a lot of that. Right. And, um, and, and, um, yeah, and it was terrific. I mean, I did, I did the, uh, the first, um, JLo record and, um, you know, getting a call from Tommy Mottola or any of those guys. I mean, at the time, you know, getting on the phone with Clive or Tommy or, you know, one of those, those top dudes was always, you know, I, I was always pretty nervous and, uh, and you know, trying to interpret, you know, it's, it's one thing trying to interpret, you know, what my, what my producers were telling me because I had close relationships with them. Right. So the interpretation, it's like, here, try this. Oh no, not that this, or, you know, but trying to, especially in those days, there's, you know, to print a CD, have it messengered to Tommy, ha- wait for him to listen, you know, he, and then he calls you and that's hours later and who knows what, what's transpired in those hours and you've got to sort of get in that frame of mind. So, yeah. Was, well, and it's, it's pretty special too. Cause it's, you, you talk about it like, yeah, you know, but everybody was getting calls from Tommy at some point and that's not true at all. I mean, that's, it's a pretty special thing. And yeah, it was, it was scary and I knew it was special. Um, and and it was super cool. I mean, I, you know, dude, just just going into his office is amazing. You know, <laughs> alone. Like, but also knowing that, as as opposed to most of the people who'd be involved in a record, if Tommy's excited, like, well, you're done. There's nobody else to convince, and the entire mm-hmm. weight of that gigantic machine was going to be put behind this release because Tommy was into it. Not producers are happy, got the artist happy, A&R guy seems happy, now he's got to take it to the meeting. Like, you done. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know the thing that's super cool as well? Yeah, you know, he would, would he'd listen to my opinions which actually in some way was shocking. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, you know, for, for him to ask me my opinion about, you know, what do you think about that guitar? You know, do we need to wait for the guitar until this section or something like that? First of all, I'm having a conversation like that with the president of the universe, but, but, then, um, but then to have him a- actually care what I think about the idea as well is actually, you know, makes the whole thing work well and it's it says a lot about him i mean i think that you know from the outside he was just like this almost monolithic power and Mm. people who never met him don't know and your stories and things and whatever but it's obviously first of all really into the music yeah totally no question and not I mean, you have to have a huge amount of confidence that maybe that turns to arrogance or whatever. But when it comes to, like, he knows what he knows and he yeah. knows what he likes, but he also knows what he doesn't know, which is a pretty good trait in someone with that much power because you don't always get that. I agree. Yeah. 
I agree. It, 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 yeah, I think that all those guys who were, who were at that level had, had that ability, you know, they, they definitely could hear hits and they knew the elements they were looking for that, that would hit those triggers, whether it was radio or whatever the purpose of the, of the record was. Um, but they were li- willing to listen and they were willing to pay attention. And I didn't know that. I mean, I, you no, you wouldn't have thought think, it, you know, yeah, you wouldn't have thought it. And you just, you just, there's so much, like you said, you, you read about people and, and, or you're told things from people who have had experiences um, and, or at least maybe thirdhand experiences. Yeah. Know, that's yeah. Generally all you get. And then to actually have a firsthand experience and go, Oh, this is totally workable and, professional and creative and you know what I mean that's almost shocking to you when it yeah comes. well yeah because you you do get the impression from the stories that there's you know it's not basically you would assume it's not motivated by what they're listening to like there's other stuff going on and they're control freaks or yeah. power hungry or whatever it is but the reality is they just don't have time to like very nicely let you down if you're sucking yeah. so <laughs> You know, if you have a bad experience, it's probably because you weren't up to the task or something. You know, they were never mean to people who were doing good work because they wanted you to keep doing good work. And there's some people who are mean to everybody, and that's a totally different story. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but this yeah, I've been, I, he rejected at least. I mean, I remember two huge mixes that I that were rejected, and and to this day, I wish I could. Those are ones that I'd like a a uh, you know a mulligan on like i'd like to get that again i mean they were huge records so and these are ones that like you did mixes and it's like no 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 and you had someone else do it you know um one of them was was ricky martin um what was his first huge hit um the living la vida loca yeah yeah one of them was that um but i don't I, i i mean i placed all the blame on myself, but also um, um, Desmond Child was the producer. He wouldn't talk to me. Right. And it was nine six tracks, two digital machines locked together and no communication with, with Desmond. None. He wouldn't talk to me. Wow. And I, and it was impossible to mix 96 tracks of music without some help. And did Desmond have someone else in mind that he wanted to do it? And I think probably, probably. Yeah, probably so. And I think that I never, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who is over, overbearing, you know, I'm, I've never been that person who did a mix and said, this is it. This is the best mix in the world. Don't ask me anything else, you know? Right. Yeah. I, yeah. You want to work with people. You want to yeah, interact. I wanna, I wanna so as much as I tried to communicate with Desmond, he wouldn't communicate with And me. I can't remember who ended up mixing it, but I mean, that was very famously the first number one record done completely in Pro Tools. No, I, th- I, it, I don't, I don't know who. It might have been Serban. Yeah, it could have been. That might have been an early Serban thing. But I think that that was sort of the big deal about that, too. Because, of course, for them to make you two multitracks, you, we were talking before we went on air about making stems. Talk about making multitracks. Especially, there's no way you had 96 I.O. on a Pro Tools rig back then. You Maybe you had 32. So that's multiple passes. Just, oh, yeah, oh apparently things. Charles Die. Charles Die mixed that. 
How about oh, that? Charleston. Mark okay. has just texted in. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, look, I, I again, I don't, I don't blame anybody but myself. But I tried really hard to communicate to Desmond. He would not communicate. Robbie so, Rose was communicating with me, who's an amazing producer and writer. But um, you know. So I'm curious though. At the time, obviously, you're just bummed out and like you know, it's a it's a big deal. But when you heard where it ended up and when you knew what you had done, did you get it? Or was it just like, no, man, I really think my take on it was awesome? No, no. I, I think that a record like that, that's a team effort. That's, there's no one dude who's never heard the track before. I never heard the track. Didn't know anything about it. Right. So you just never even felt like you got to a place that should have even been considered, really. Yeah, exactly. Like, I I don't think I even figured out, you know, I might have figured out the drums, but I'm sure I didn't figure out a shit ton of other things. You know, it takes a team when, when you've got that much, whether it's back then on a console that you're given, you know, I mean... Crazy in Love took two weeks. <laughs> I did this this Ricky, Ricky Martin thing in two days. Right. It should have taken two weeks, especially right. considering I, you know, and and the 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 Beyonce Crazy in Love was two weeks collaboratively right. with everyone involved, including, you know, Tommy, including everyone. So it's a whole different thing. So. It was a weird, it was one of those, I, I wish I had another, you know, I should have just shut it down and been like, can't do this without. Right. Yeah. Now I'm at the point where, when are you guys coming? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have the nutsack in those days. I was just <laughs> starting out and Tommy was. This is was, pre, pre-nutsack. It's, pre-nutsack, you know. It's a different era. Well, look, was, you. Was you putting a lot of, a lot of hope in me. I think, and and I and and I seriously appreciated that, but um, but I didn't have the nuts act to like call him up and say, "Yo, man, I need I need the team." But also, that didn't like end your relationship either, right? It was just you know that was that one song, and off you went to the next one. Yeah, no, he was very very nice. So look, you brought up Beyonce. It's going to take us a while to talk about it. So should we just go there? Yeah, sure. I mean, so because I mean, there's the Destiny's Child record first. Yep. That was I don't know which one it was. Maybe the third third album for Destiny's Child uh, with Bootylicious and and uh, and uh, Survivor and uh, a bunch of those records. Yeah, that was um. Uh, Again, my relationship with Tommy and Teresa LaBarbera was a young A&R person at the time. And, and she had proven you know, with signing Destiny's Child that she knew what she was doing. And Tommy um, asked her to chat with me about doing a record for her. And so I, I did a record for her. I did the first Jessica Simpson record. That All she, right. She signed Jesse as well. And um, and that did really well. 
And she had other people mixing the Destiny's Child stuff as well. And, but she was willing to try me out. So we did, I think maybe, I don't know how many records we did on that, on that album, but um, yeah, that went really well. Cause she was very collaborative and the girls were super collaborative. Um, and most of the producers were okay with me doing it when they weren't, she didn't, you know, force me on them. Right. Um, and, uh, and then when crazy in love was going to happen, you know, our, our working relationship had really started to do really well. And Tommy was totally behind us. So that worked out well. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Teresa that's, that's pretty, I mean, one of the many things that's pretty incredible is her ability to pick songs, man, was, Mm -hmm. was amazing. And, um, uh, so, you know, she was able to just choose just amazing songs. She didn't care if the producer was, was, you know, big time and had lots of credits and all of that. Cause Rich Harrison did crazy in love. And I mean, his credit credits at that time were really a Marie, I think. Right. You know, he had a few other credits of songs that he and I had done, but you know, the bulk of his credits were a-, a Marie, which is a record that he produced and wrote and signed. And, you know, but was- anyone listening to one thing, like we talked about yeah. realizes like, holy shit, there's Dude, something going on. Yeah. So yeah. no doubt. And Teresa was smart enough to, to jump in on that. So, um, and that's where crazy and love came from. Um, but she was she was always really good at at choosing some unknowns many times. Um, she didn't care. It wasn't a political thing, and she would just choose the best songs, and the best you know best productions. Um, and and I think that that first Beyonce record was a testament to her true ability to choose amazing songs and great talent. Right. Um, so and B just fucking killed it. Yeah. She just killed it. I was working two rooms. I had I had studio three and four going when we were working on that record. That was some insane. And and those were the early days of Pro Tools as well. Right. So clip gaining was not not a thing. So you would you would have to, you know, there was a plug-in for gaining. So we would use that plug-in to, to gain S's and things like that, man. That that was hell. <laughs> that was hell. Easier than tape, but... Oh, uh, yeah, fair point. But yeah. I don't know that S's come through in tape as much as they do. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. But I, I don't think you, would, you were sitting there with the Pro Tools wishing that you were on tape uh, at that point. No, probably not. Probably not. We can be nostalgic if you want, but I think there was tape involved though. Cause there was I vaguely remember rewinding. <laughs> but I think that might have also been just the way that I was used to working. Well, it was also it was really hard to drive SSL automation without a tape machine oh, yeah. at that point. So sometimes, I mean, I remember some sessions, there were code only masters. That's it. You had a real right. tape that had time code on it and no audio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
oh my god i had to edit pro that was when i gave up on um on ssls really because because of crazy in love i mean there were some throw in some crazy in love and then throw in some black eyed peas but um yeah because editing automation on yes, the ssl the time shift but, join stuff yeah, yeah. yeah that, that shit was so i'd end up having to mix a song like six times right redo the automation for you know from chorus two out if there was an edit after chorus two i mean you can do you can kind of try and do the edit yeah you could but it you was know. it was squirrely Never perfect yeah. so so just to be a geek for a second so then what was your what did you go to from there or did you have, like poke around looking for a while uh no i went full in on tools right and what I started doing is I'd, I'd set all the faders to zero and right. would, you know, calibrate them with, with tone. And, um, and, um, so you'd and, still you know, use my, like the EQ and yeah, occasionally, dynamics and yeah. all that. Yep. Yeah. Because you can, you can recall that. Yeah. Just everything except faders and mutes basically. Yeah. And I got up a, a D command and, and started using D command for automation and I wouldn't use any com outboard compressors. Right. Cause I right. was doing rides. Exactly. And they, they would all be post fader. Yeah. Yeah. So I would have to use internal. And at that point I still, you know, tools didn't have the delay compensation thing together yet. Right. There was no hardware inserts yet. So it was, I was a little ahead of the curve and I paid dearly for it on a few, <laughs> on a few approvals. Um, there were, there were a couple of mixes I did and I, I actually felt bad, um, because I, you know, I just fucked them up because I was headstrong on not using a console. Um, but whatever. That's and life. now look, <laughs> you know, that's the thing about this career, right? You, you, you make choices, you make decisions, you, you, you know, you just, Try and keep things moving forward. Yeah, but, well, no, and you, you got to serve the song. You can't say let's not do that edit because it's going to mess up my well, automation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's not really an option, is it? And 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 the thing that you get good at is, you know, I memorized where my fader moves were. Right. You know, it got to the point where, of course, I even put tape on every fader. And, you know, had little notes on the tape itself, you know, B section one, you know, shit like that. Just Right. So you'd um, actually gone back to manual mixing so that whatever you did on the console, you could just redo in real time and be done with it. Yeah. Well, uh, when I had to work on a console, yeah. which occasionally I did. I, I, you know, Ron Fair was slow to, to allow me to do internal mixes. So... It took a while. I remember Ron coming in and I had had a D command on top of the SSL at the record plant. And you know, I had this plexiglass thing made so it fit on top <laughs> on top of the SSL. And he was like, What what's happening? And I was like, It's all good. Don't worry about it. We're still using the console. Right. I just I just don't want to have anything to do with the automation system. But he was cool. <laughs> That was that was um, Christina Aguilera, that, right? That well, we're fighter. not. We we got to get a little more Beyonce talk out of you before we move on oh, to okay. anyone else. Because I mean, you 
have worked with her on how many records now? I mean, is it all of them or? There was a B day was the only one I didn't work on. Right. Um, because, um, uh, to, I don't want to get into that particular reason, but, um, yeah, that's the only record I did not work on. Right. Uh, so you worked on a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not always the singles. I mean, I, I, yeah, hadn't, hadn't done all the singles and, and now, uh, you know, Stu White is, is working on all of her stuff. He's doing recording. He's doing everything. Yeah. Additional production even. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he's, he's a talented, talented boy. He's super talented guy. Really, yep. really good. Um, and occasionally he throws me the ones that either he doesn't like or he's having a problem. <laughs> well, look, that's the only reason I got to work on a Beyonce record, right? It was yeah. like there was, so there were a couple you had just not had time to get to. There's just too much going on. Yeah. And that's right. And I got yeah. a call and that was awesome. You know, yeah. I'm glad you yeah. thought of me. It was, uh, it was great. And you killed it and you set the stage. I swear to God, she, she heard that mix and was like, okay, this is going in the right direction. Now I'm feeling happy. And we were all like, ha, ha. Because <laughs> no one had slept for weeks. And, which was awesome. I mean, unfortunately, I never got to meet her. I never got to talk to her. But, you know, it, it was great to be part of that. It was also, I've got to say, it was great to be slightly on the outside of that machine looking in. Because that machine can eat people. It's uh, oh, at us. It, yeah. At us. I came over pretty late in the process and you were pretty loopy and there was pie and whiskey everywhere. It well, was, we, it was, I think it was three weeks of no one left. I mean, I may have gone home twice to shower. Right. And maybe my assistant same, but like Justin, James, Tyler round the clock. Well, and this was the, uh, the self-titled, record that she dropped out of nowhere on a Friday at midnight. And I had absolutely no idea it was coming out then. Maybe you knew by the end, but we got, we got a phone call from Teresa as Teresa was leaving town. She had stayed here. She was like in the booth sleeping on a couch. Yeah. And she had stayed here for those three weeks as well. And she was like uh, at the air, like on her way to the airport. And she called and she was like, turn on your, you know, anything. Your, I, yeah, whatever it was. It was back then. Um, she was like, open up your computer, turn on iTunes. And that's what we did. And there it was. And it was out. And I know that was Friday at midnight. And I know I delivered a mix Thursday at like, well, Friday at 2 a.m. or something like that. And then oh, oh, I, I seem to remember, and I could be making this up, but I seem to remember once it got close, because we didn't know the deadlines, they were mastering every single version that we sent in case that was it. Because then they'd we, already be done and cutting them into the videos. Because, of course, every song had a video. I gave up my room, this room. I gave this room up to James and Justin because we had two giant screens here. One screen was what was at mastering at Tom Coins. <laughs> the other screen was what was going to be sent or what was in progress. So, And I'm down the street. I've, I've got three rooms going elsewhere um tyler's in a room in my little b room just listening for clicks and pops 
And then, and then Teresa and her team are just going through, you know, credits and going through details of every single note that B comes back with. I mean, the whole place is humming. I'm running from room to room trying to just get a good mix. And that's why when we, we called you, Teresa was like, are you going to get this done? And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> realistically. I, I mean, I was, of course, trying to get the information from her about when they needed it. Like exactly. when is the realistic deadline? And she's like, I can't tell you that. And I'm like, well, I need a rough idea. Yeah, it's so, hard to answer whether I can get it done or not. Right. I need I need a rough idea on, on, on when you need it. And the actual need is the important part of this. And 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 that's when she told me and I was like, um, okay. So yeah, let's call Andrew. Let's <laughs> let's move this along. And I, I, you know, I would have thrown you four mixes, but, but uh, Stu was really, you know, handling a lot. Yeah. And that's when he really, he just ramped up and really covered things in a really nice way. Um, and he would be sitting in here with Derek, who was one of B's, um, oh, he's her MD. And uh, Derek would be sitting here with Stu and, and Justin or James and they'd have my mix recalled in here and they'd just be calling out, you know, more bottom end on this, more, you know, do a ride on this part or whatever. And I let them do that. And then I'm in another room trying to mix a whole new song <laughs> and then I'd feed it to them and they would do. Cover. So it was, uh, it was, it was, yeah, that one was, that one was phew, over the top. So that that's that's the most chaotic they ever were. Um, you know the the weird thing is it. You could use the word chaos, chaotic, but but re, the reality is, um, I think. You know this this is a human being who was making. Don't forget, she was making those videos at the time. Yeah, it's not like she's hanging out. B is like making videos. So she's got a whole video editing team going as and well. And a very young daughter. <laughs> yeah, was was Blue Ivy born? Yeah, I think she was. I think oh so. I'm right. pretty sure. Yeah. I could have that wrong, but I think she was like really young then. Yeah, I, I, Jesus, I, I didn't even think of that, but God, you might be right. Um, so she's got the whole video team going. The video team is trying to communicate with us, but the language is just not the same. So, oh yeah, I mean, so it wasn't so much chaos as it had never been done. Right. That, that's the bottom line. It had never been done. So trying to ramp up or trying to get something happening. I mean, originally, Teresa came to me and was like, oh, you, you know, can you mix this? And I'm like, of course, I'm down, you know. And I had communicated with Stu about where he had left things off. And, and I, you know, he and I ended up doing collaboration on, on quite a number of those mixes. Um, but, you know, she was like, okay, what studio? And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? And when do I need it done? I was like, we got to bring this in house, like bring this to my, my space. I'm not going to go at the time. There was no studios in New York. Um, so, and, you know, I think maybe we had called record plant 
or I don't even remember, but we might have called a couple places, but Glenwood Place, you know, find a place where where you, you have an enclosed environment. Yeah. No one else could be, but they were booked. So I was like, okay, we're doing it in my spot and we'll just all hands on deck, throw everybody else out of the building. And, um, and, and uh, so it, it just had never been done really. Uh, and I think that was the thing. About right. It. And I was, I mean, I can't tell you how lucky I was to have the team of guys, you know, at that point, my, my guys, Justin and James, had really just sort of gotten, you know, their confidence level up and Tyler was brand new. That was his first gig. (laughs) Thinking they're all going to be like that. Yeah. And, um, so, so really, you know, we had just gotten fast internet, like literally the month before, if we had not gotten that fast internet, it wouldn't have been possible. Yeah. You know, and Tom Coyne, I mean, there was one mix that we did. Tom's assistant went home. So we're here sending mixes over and over, you know. And Tom's assistant, I forget her name now, really lovely and, and talented person. Um, but she went home just to shower. And, and like, and it was like, the final day or one of the, but of course no one knew it was the final day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I called up Dave Kutch at mastering palace and I was like, can you send somebody down there? Cause Tom does, you know, Tom is is a mastering guy. He doesn't do all the tweaky, whatever the fuck computer shit that needs to get done. So I I got Dave Kutch to send his second down to, to Sterling (laughs) to do some shit. Some technical shit until Tom Coyne's uh, second can come in, you know, after she showered. Oh my God. It was, it was insane. Pretty nuts. Um, But, you know, after doing that, it's like nothing, you know, I'm sure everyone involved in that was like, I got this. Right. There isn't anything that anyone can throw at you that goes beyond that. No way. Right. It would. It was just beyond, I mean, really amazing. And and the fact that it, to this day, I don't, I mean, it didn't win the Grammy. I, I'm sorry. I, I love, um, well, what's his name? Um, fuck. Uh, Beck. Right, yeah. Love Beck. Love you, baby. But I'm sorry, Beyonce deserved every fucking award that was an amazing record i'm pretty sure beck said that too didn't he i i, I you know what he may have i was so yeah. shocked that b didn't win that i was just like i i love you dude but <laughs> but not that much <laughs> it wasn't even about me no i know i know I nothing to do with me i was just like this woman deserves all the all those awards she deserves everything for that record. It was, it was an amazing undertaking for her to even conceive of it. Right. What about actually have it come to fruition and be released? Yeah. Really. It was an amazing thing. And it was amazing, you know, heartfelt, amazing stuff. Same as Lemonade. I mean, even Lemonade, which 
wasn't like that uh, as far as it's finishing, but um, same thing. I mean, both those records, I was like, there's something fucked up going on at Morris. Well, you know, it's, there there are lots of, we don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole, but it's just, you got to join to vote. And there are a lot of communities that just traditionally don't join. So they're not represented. And unfortunately, that's the deal. It's a members only vote. It's not a popular vote. And if all the members are people who've been in there since the 70s, you know, that's the demographic you got voting. So, I I mean, there's been, especially with the last CEO leaving, lots of talk about whether things are fixed or whatever. And it's not. They've got, you know, some oversight and stuff like that to make sure. And the only reason there's oversight is because Jethro Tull won the first best metal band Grammy. And they're like, mm. okay, that can't ever happen again. But again, that was the voting membership are like, Jethro Tull, metal band, and they should mm. win because it's the only one anyone had heard of. So, you know, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't disagree there. But I think also it's an interesting thing when you see the way records kind of take hold in certain areas and in the awards, it's always a, a different thing. But it's also, it's always about, songs like the entire morning phase record is cool but that one song and i'm not going to remember the name of it now just really caught people the same way a uh, holocene by bon Iver, i think like catches people so even if you're not a bon Iver fan that song is like oh my god so as amazing as everything on that beyonce record is i don't know that there was one in particular that caught people and that's think, what sways that stuff i think you're, you're right you're right i think Yes, I, I I agree, and you know, I don't I don't even remember if it was released on Spotify. It might have only been a to- a title release. Uh, no, I think it was there. before all that because it was the Apple, you know, it was the iTunes release first, and so I think mm-hmm. it it yeah. went everywhere eventually. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I think it's it's more about I mean the, in particular that's just about the voting membership, but it's also it's what everyone's been talking about for the last six months yeah. very rightly so is that being black and being a woman is not as good as being white and being a man yeah and 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 i'm happy that that's going to change yeah 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 and i didn't mean as good i mean as good for the person as a baseline i, I, I understood exactly what you okay mean. good i'm just like you I, it's so easy to mess up being a white man I find I don't even want to say too much. Like, I mean, I, I we talked, I tried to talk to, to Jimmy Douglas about it a little bit, and it took me minutes to get a question out of my mouth because I couldn't even figure out what the hell to say, you know? And so it's it's a difficult thing. Uh, yeah, to, but I think that it's it's a, uh, it, it is something that, that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and big time. Whether that's whether that's, you know, getting people to, to, to sign up and become members and and getting more variety but i think it's also um um no the much bigger systemic picture is yeah. huge yeah and and the fact that we recognize it and that it's being talked about is super important yeah um, but but i mean getting anyway. back to this, yes that you know the woman is fucking amazing sorry you can remove the fucking why? Oh. <laughs> That's like the twelfth one you've said, so it's fine. Oh, it is. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. The the fucking mixed up shit. I think was something that ha- happened earlier. Yeah, there's plenty. Don't worry about it. Okay. It's there should be. There should be. So well, let's. I mean, there's there's lots of other stuff sort of in between, but let's talk about you deciding to base yourself in L.A. Mm. Because we kind of glossed over the fact that, you know, you went from right. all the stuff with Tommy in New York and then all of a sudden you've got a place with multiple rooms in L.A. So what was kind of the – what was the impetus for doing it? What was going on in New York when you decided to actually spend more time in L.A. enough to – say you live there i mean obviously you still got a place in new york i mean you still have a place in new york but Hmm. um but you definitely live in la now so what was what was the deal you know um i i should have saw it coming but i didn't everyone was moving to la everybody from new york uh housing prices and 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 also just real estate in general hit factory sold yeah you know uh closed sony sold closed um uh you know there were at the time only a few rooms in brooklyn uh that i remember and um and they were okay you know um I was I, I rented a room at Chung King with uh, Josh Deutsch from Downtown Music, and we shared a, a room, and um, and then that studio closed. I, so places were just the real estate market was so high that studios couldn't afford to to be in business. Yeah, um, and and of course the music business was not able to afford a higher price for studio time. So it became obvious to me that having my own space was important. I had, I had transitioned into, you know, this hybrid system that I use. Um, I had built a room upstate my barn. So I, I got out of the city and started living upstate in the woods and working out of the barn, and I mixed a Jason Mraz record. Well, you lived in, in a barn. house. Let's be clear. You didn't live I in lived the woods. In a house <laughs> and the barn was was across the street, and um, and I and I built a little studio. Built it by hand. Fran Manzella, rest in peace, actually uh, came up and sketched on white line paper what I should do, and literally just drew it out by hand. We had dinner, and um, and. Um, he went home and, and I started, you know, putting up, you know, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call them? Baffle walls and, and, and framing and things like that. And, and, um, and, and the room just sounded amazing. It really did. I got lucky. And part of that is because I didn't have to keep sound in or out. Right. I wasn't recording and I had no neighbors. So part of the reason why the room sounds so good is because it's not airtight. Right, right. So if you're, you know, in the house in the middle of the night while I'm working, you can hear me working because I can't keep the sound in because I didn't try. Right. Um, and as, as anybody who builds a room knows, that's why rooms don't sound good because 
you you build a room to keep the sound in and to keep the sound from outside coming in. Right, right. And if you don't care about those things, the air goes right through. Yeah. Then baffling is easy. Yeah. And low frequencies can leave and never come back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what my room did. And and I mixed a bunch of things, but uh, I think I mixed a Carrie Hilson track was one of my first that, that I was like, oh, this is really working, you know? And I had done some work for one of my uh, producer friends, uh, Craig Street, and and that was coming out really good as well. Um, so what's her name? I'm gonna forget her name. Um, gone. Okay. Um, <laughs> Might but then, come back. Then, then I got asked to mix uh, the Jason Mraz record, and I mixed it up there. Yeah. Well, we should we should talk about that a little bit before we move you to to okay. LA, because I mean that's. Obviously, with, with Stephen Street, that's going to be less of the the R and B, hip hop, crossover pop stuff you'd been doing. But so, mm -hmm. were you always trying to keep your hand in other genres, or you just the work is coming? You're doing the work. You knew people. So, like, how did the Jason Mraz album even come about? Because it wasn't an obvious fit at that point, was it? No, I, I had worked with. Um uh, an amazing producer for many years, um, Martin Tereffi. And he is a Swedish dude who lives in London. He's got his own spot there um, called Kenzeltown. And he had, we, he and I had worked together on a number of records. And then he had brought me to Kenzeltown and I worked there on um, Craig David was the artist. And I got to meet um, Yusef, Cat uh, Stevens, by the way. Right. Um, which was a huge, big thing for me. Nice. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so Martin and I had been working together quite a bit. And, and, and Martin was working on that, you know, that um, Jason record. And uh, I had met Sam Rebeck, who was the A&R guy for the Jason record. I had also known about Jason because Josh Deutsch had originally either signed him or helped him. And Josh and I had shared the room at, uh, right. At the and, um, and, uh, so Martin, uh, try was basically tried me out. I mean, Martin's a really thoughtful guy and, and sort of, you know, he stages his people, you know, whether it's the musicians involved or, or the engineers involved. And um, he works in a room at Kenzeltown that, that's open, so no control room. Um, and, you know, it's got this, the, you know, beautiful API console and, and, um, and great microphones. And a guy named Deer Gormson, uh, I'm messing with the last name did the engineering on that record. And, um, and so Martin, you know, asked me to give it a try. So I did. And, and I had at that point, you know, my, my hybrid system was really working and I had, I had a bunch of analog gear, but I was doing everything in the box. So I was, you know, um, it, it was exactly the system that I have here, which is, I just moved it from that barn and put it in this room, 
which is my Neve sidecar, my EMI uh, Chandler mixer, bunch of Chandler EMI stuff, um, and uh, and 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 it just came together really nicely, and it worked out perfect. Um, and we did a few recalls. Craig Kalman, uh, uh, the president of Atlantic, came down, and um, uh, so I, I literally recreated my setup at Looking Glass Studios down on Broadway. Was Looking Glass on Broadway? I don't know. I think it was. Let's say it was. Who's going to argue? Um, It'll be in the chat. But that that was uh, Philip Glass's studio. Right. And so um, I, 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 you know, replicated my setup there, which in those days was easy. You know, my setup is not that hard. It's just, you know, some, some, some interfaces and the particular gear that I needed for that, those, you know, and then it's all calibrated and boom, um, the mixes came back and Craig Kalman sat next to me and we went through tweaks and did recalls. And I think we did maybe recalls on three or four songs. Right. And, uh, I'm yours, of course, was the most important. So we did recalls yeah. on that. And, um, and it went great. And, and, uh, you know, I have to say, Deer's um, recording and Martin's production just made it happen because it just was perfect. I mean, the vocal sound, Jason is also one of the best vocalists I have ever heard. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so between Deer's recording, Martin's production, and, and Jason's, you know, performance... It just made my life easy. You still um, did some stuff, though. It's it is a it's a fantastic sounding record, and I think that it would be easy. It'd be easy for it to sound a little more singer songwritery, which would then not make the arrangements work. You know, because the arrangements really go for the more pop thing in a chorus, but then the verse is nothing, and like there's a lot of contrast mm -hmm. on that record. And I really I believe a million percent that it's your ability to just let it live in the same world as all these other artists we talked about who really have nothing to do with him in a way mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. it it's what makes that record work for me so mm -hmm. yeah i think i think yeah i think the fact that that i'm current I'm, I'm constantly working on different genres at the same time really is is beneficial because it, it forces me to, uh, even looking at my gear, you know, I'm looking at, oh, that was a setting for whatever the record was, you know, that I was doing. And, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that setting for the completely different record. Right. And see what happens, you know, and, and that's kind of fun and interesting um, and creative. I mean, you know how, you know how it is. It's, it's like you're, you you try this thing whether it's in in a piece of gear analog gear or or a digital thing and you put it on something completely different it it's so much fun to see where it takes you yeah and and, and so i think that um i think that's one of the as i said martin picks and chooses the people he works with based on you know oh a little of that flavor in this is right. going to make 
do that. And he, you know, he was right. Well, it definitely worked on that record. Um, you know, so awesome. All right. So are we moving you to LA yet or we still got more upstate to do? Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. The funny thing was, you know, I drove across the country. I refused (laughs) to, to put my gear in a, you know, on a plane and, and let the, the gear folks, you know, have at it. So, um, and this is I, right about when we met, I think, cause I met you right when you were sort of making the decision, yeah. like, yeah, it's time to, that's right. Time to come. Yeah. Yeah. The, there was no hope for New York city at that point, as far as studios go. I had asked every studio, of course, I called everyone. Can I have a room? And they'd be like, yeah, it's, you know, whatever. The lowest rate they would give me would be 1500 a day. And I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, I want the room for the year. And they'd be like, yeah, 1500 yeah, a day. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. Like there's a whole new world coming. You can't be doing that. And they're like, look, this is what we got, you know? Right. And I was like, you can remove everything. I don't need even the fucking speakers. Get them out of here. I don't need nothing. Just give me an empty room. And they were like, no, can't do it. So I was like, all right, knock yourself out. So <laughs> I I talked to a couple of friends of mine. I was like, anybody want to take a trip across the country? And uh, and one of my buddies, Zach, he was going to do it, Zach Hancock. And uh, he had helped me build that room in the barn. And, um, and he was going to do it, but uh, it didn't work out. So last minute, an, another buddy of mine jumped in and, 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 uh, I mean, that was just about the time GPS was happening and shit. Right. So <laughs> like dude had, had it all. Like I didn't, I didn't need GPS. You're like, go I, West. I, I'll, you'll get there. Yeah, exactly. But he had it and, and, and it worked out well. Cause we like stopped at good food places. Oh, nice. Did you do the Northern route or the Southern route? Which way? Southern. Nice. Yeah. We went, we went almost straight down and then, and then bango right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, dragged that shit across the country myself. I didn't let it out of my sight. You know, I backed the truck up to the, wherever we were, whatever, you know, room. Cause I would crash at night. I wasn't right. going to do the clock thing, but, it, you know, back the truck up to my door so that nobody could get in it. And if I heard anybody touch the truck, I'd like run out. You know? <laughs> um, but, uh. Yeah, got across the country, and 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 my friend Jean Marie Horvat was was kind of hunkered down at um, the Boom Boom Room, which was uh, Will Smith's place at the time. Right. And um, and so I I shared a room with him for a while, and 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 uh, and then eventually this spot opened up. Um, I needed more time. So I started working here at night and, uh, and then the owner of the building, you know, gave me another B like a little room. So I did a little acoustic treatment on that. And then a couple of my friends moved in one downstairs, one across the hall, another one at the front. So at the, at one point we had five rooms. Wow. We don't, obviously I don't own the building. So we just, rented what we needed and I paid by the month 
and it worked out perfect. And the room was weird because it was actually, you know, I'm supposed to be facing that way. Right. But it didn't sound good. So um, two of my friends, um, Maurice from PMC Speakers. Yeah. And um, Ron Spider, who also now works for PMC. Um, they they kind of suggested I flip the room around, you know, just literally, you know, 180 degrees. And ever since then, that was you know, 10 years ago. Ever since then, the room was performing really well. And it's it's better, of, it's because when you're facing the other way, you got your back to the door and all mafia people know, you do not sit with your back to the door. I've seen The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's the whole reason why it sounds better. Exactly. Yeah, you, yeah. You're, there's less fear in the room. Less fear. Yeah. I, I feel really bad too because there was a there was a Portugal a Man record that I, I mixed facing that way. Or I mean, I, I'm, I, I should say that I mixed one song off and then they, they rejected me. <laughs> um, and, and I was ready to burn the fucking place down. But then Maurice and Spider kind of were like, yeah, flip it around. So Justin actually flipped it around as a surprise for me. And, um, and I came in and man, performs really well. That's all. Justin is that kind of guy. He probably did it overnight too. Right, knowing him, I think it was a weekend, but yeah, yeah. but still, yeah. amazing. So, yeah. all right, so this starts the the L.A. era. Yeah, and did Mirrorball start up as a thing right away, or was that later on? Well, interestingly, Mirrorball kind of started because Martin Tereffi at Kinseltown, he had a, a production company, and Kinseltown was part of that system and um one of his partners was sasha scarbeck sasha scarbeck's brother sasha scarbeck is a writer producer who was partners with martin at the time and his brother stefan had just moved to la from london gotten married and so we met up and we were like oh why don't we do like a kinseltown west you know and and create a a, a a system like they were doing, which was the sort of collaborative group kind of thing, um, which lots of producers of Martin's level do. You know, they pull in younger guys, they develop right. them, and then they those guys start doing productions and writing and things like that. Um, so Steph and I thought, well, we should give this a go and see what happens. So that's kind of how it came up. And the name Mirabal just, we happened to use it because Steph had created a company named Mirabal. So we just used it because it's easier to use what you already got. Yeah, exactly. I've had COR productions since college for no <laughs> good reason other than it existed. Exactly. Yeah. So what was your your vision for it and has it morphed into other things and like what's what's the idea because you love having a team which is yeah. which is admirable i mean because it, it means you're also you're mentoring all the time but you're also learning from other people you're making sure there are other creative people around you and that's not the way everybody works so yeah expound well i think 
I mean, a, a large part of it comes from, you know, things that we talked about in the, in the first part of this interview, which is, you know, my, my, my earliest work as a professional was, you know, I did live sound for a band called the Marcells that I think we talked about. Chris Rival got me involved in that. And, and that was a 10 piece band. And me and Chris did all the roadieing, all the live sound, the lights, everything. But, you know, that was a 10 piece band that it was extremely collaborative. Um, to then go from that was in Boston to then go to New York and work at Sigma Sound, where, you know, we had monthly meetings with the engineering staff and the technical staff. And there was a, I mean, there were, there were six techs. Right. I mean, studio has six techs. I mean, usually they have a part-time tech. Exactly. One yeah. Part-time tech now. We had six techs. And and it's and a product and an engineering team of probably ten people, you know. And then there was a production team in the office of another six people, you know. Those were the days. Yeah. And so collaboration was every second, you know, because the client had to walk into a perfectly, you know, put together facility with, you know, everything from the catering to the microphones, and the tape machine had to be perfect. Um, and, and, you know, I learned a lot from the people who taught me and, and, um, you know, I watched that dwindle down because of money um, and, um, and, and got to the point where, you know, I would walk into a studio and the assistants were not trained and, and I don't blame them and I don't even blame the studios, you know, it's just money. Well, it's that, and it's also I've many sessions. You'd walk in, and it was the first time in eight months they'd actually used any channels on the console because everybody's just monitoring stereo. No one's setting yeah. up microphones. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just wasn't that kind of work. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I, I started. Um, when I got here, I brought my assistant from upstate, literally from the woods. <laughs> you know, I brought my assistant here because he was amazing. Um, Mac Burkhart is his name. And um, he traveled across the country. He, he didn't travel in the truck with me. But which he shows he doesn't really have the dedication to hack no, it. No, which shows he's smart. Oh, oh right. <laughs> yes, that, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, but he came out and he stayed for, I want to say he stayed for three or four months, you know, which was really nice of him. He didn't have to do that. Um, and, you know, and then I looked for an, a replacement. I, and at that point, I had started right away. I was like, okay, Mac, you're going to leave. Thank you for the notice. You're going to help me find a new guy, you know? And he did. He, he, you know, reached out on whatever device was hot at the time and fucking whatever, you know, website was yeah. you know, possible. Um, and, and he brought in, probably. could have been, yeah, could yeah. have been. And he brought in like five guys for me to check out. And, um, and most of the guys showed up with mixing credits and, 
bragged about this person they worked with and, you know, this or that, that he they were doing. And I was like, cool, why do you want to work for me? Like, you're already mixing. You know, you're already a star. Knock yourself out. Um, and then he brought in Justin. And Justin came in and I was working with Robbie Robertson at the time. And uh, Justin came in and everyone started and, and Mac was still there. So everyone was chatting, you know, with Mac as if he was the second engineer. And, and then Justin, they just started treating him as if he was part of the team immediately. And he started acting like he was part of the team and he was just interviewing at that point. Right. <laughs> you know? So by the end of the, the, the interview, you know, which was probably four hours long because he's there, like literally taking notes and right. doing things. Oh, I guess you're you're hired because you're working. Yeah, and we were like, uh, yeah, that's that's our dude. And and I'm not sure he spoke more than ten sentences during those four hours, which again is perfect. That's perfect. That's one of the things Jimmy Douglas said was like, you walk into that room silent. You don't yeah. walk in talking. Yeah. Everyone else had gobs of shit to say about themselves. Justin, I don't think I even knew his last name at that point. You know, I didn't ask him anything because I didn't have time. I was working. Right. He immediately was like, yeah, this guy is working already. And, um, and yeah, and, and he and I have been super tight since that day. And, and I still rely on him. I'm, you know, getting a new server. So I've got to make a, an adjustment so so he can come in here socially distanced and by himself and 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 pop that server in and and, and like that. And he still, I still rely on him for a, a a lot of really important things in my in my technical world. Right. But you've also, I mean, Mirabal is a full on like publishing company. You've signed artists. You have put yeah. out now. Are you a label or you've had the records put out through people? No, no. Um, so we started out as a production company and, and, and first, yeah, I don't do that as much anymore. Um, and from that we moved into publishing because, you know, why not? If you can spot talent, why not? Yeah. Um, and um, and then, of course, you know, if you're making music, you know, releasing it is a good vehicle to test it. And um, so we we made a, a distribution deal with the Orchard, and um, still have that. And um, uh, I've taken a backseat at this point since the baby was born. Um, and um, I pulled in um, uh, an amazing uh, uh, writer, um, executive talent, uh, Johnny Davis, to sort of take over and run things. Stefan, my partner, also had two babies in this time. So we kind of, we, we upstreamed the best of the talent to BMG songs and, and also um, uh, UMPG and our, and our 
admin deal is through UMPG. So we, we kind of upstreamed a couple of things there and upstreamed a couple of things through BMG. And, um, and then as far as uh, releasing, it's more, you know, specific. Right. And more about how that works in the grand scheme of things. And I think Johnny is, is doing a great job at that aspect of it because he's actually worked for bigger corporations than I have. Right. Um, and that but when you started, I mean, did you see yourself personally kind of branching out and maybe not just being a mixer, not just, but you know what I mean, sort mm -hmm. of expanding your roles and now you've decided to focus more just on the making records or you just wanted this going on around you? You know, it kind of developed into doing more production, doing, you know, talent um, development. Um, we used to have meetings with all the writers. And, and in fact, some of the writers got together in those meetings and then became artists that got signed to labels right. as well. Um, um, I, I mean, I think in the end, what I've realized and what I've proven to myself is that I'm good at picking talent and not just writers, producers, uh, singers, things like that, but engineers and um, the, the engineering talent that, that I've been lucky enough to work with, starting with Justin and Mac, um, but also uh, a guy named James Krause and um, John Castelli and um, Chris Tabron, um, uh, Tyler Scott, um, and now Miles Komiski and Najib are still kind of one foot out the door, but still working with me. And, um, and one of my earliest uh, apprentices, Zach Hancock, is still working with me. Right. We're all, you know, doing well and, and, you know, making their own livings and we still love hanging out and, and even, you know, like I send music to them and they send music to me. Can you put your ear on this? You know, send me some notes because right. I'm having problems with it, you know, um, or, Hey, have you tried this plugin? Check it out. You know, those kinds of things. Um, and and I, so I've been very, very lucky in that regard. Um, but but that's what I've realized is that I'm good at picking talent. I might not be so good at, you know, selling once I've chosen the, the great talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, other than Tommy Mottola. It's, that's so hard. It's just ridiculous. Um, mm. But it's all, you know, obviously it's a testament to you, the legacy of, of the people you've got working with you who then go on to do things. And it's, you know, you're, you're definitely a, a part of that, which is great. Yeah. It's really good. Um, so there's obviously there's lots and lots of records. Like we mentioned Christina Aguilera for about a second and a half, but I don't want to just like, Oh, what about this artist? What about this artist? What about this artist? But we got to talk about blurred lines for a bit. Yeah. Don't we? A little? I mean, you know, I mean, the, the your role in it was not as controversial as everything else that happened, but as much as the, the drama surrounding it, it's a great record. Pharrell doesn't plagiarize. And 
and he's an amazing talent. And and uh, Andrew, can't remember his last name, who recorded it, gave, delivered it to me in perfect shape. So as far as the, the story about the mix, it was an easy mix. I mean, you'd done a, a lot of stuff with Robin already, though, at that point, right? I had, yeah. yes. I mean, Rob came into the studio all the time. And, and, um, and, you know, I, I like Rob and, and I like Pharrell and I, and I consider them to be friends and, 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 uh, so, you know, I'm heartbroken over the bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I'm more talking about just the, how fucking huge it was. I mean, that was like, there hadn't. I, I don't know. I'm probably wrong, but it felt like there hadn't been a song that took over in that way for a long time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. talk about, oh, the feel good hit of the summer, but then it turns out half the people in the world have never even, even heard of it, even before the controversy. And obviously, Video Full of Naked Chicks doesn't hurt, but that song just owned the world as far as the world we were looking at at that point. Yeah. And it sounded amazing. It just, yeah. it had, again, I think in almost the same way, but completely sort of the inside out version of the Jason Mraz thing. It had, like on the Jason Mraz, I feel like you almost brought more of a pop thing to it that it didn't necessarily have. And then mm-hmm. Blurred Lines, it's almost the other way. It got a little bit dirtier, a little bit more yeah. the New York earlier hip-hop stuff that you'd done you brought that to it i mean the bottom end on that track is just insane yeah so no no i think that's absolutely true it you know it it's actually closer to one thing right that think that jason you know what i mean like i i pulled from from one thing because um you know pharrell is meticulous about is percussion um and that song is pretty much all percussion yeah it's percussion <laughs> and party tracks <laughs> yeah there's, there's not a lot of shit it's pharrell and, and 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 it's pharrell doing everything and then rob singing and um but uh so mixing wise that's just going with the flow of whatever pharrell did and pulling in that sort of um that thing that Rich Harrison did as well on the, on the um, one thing and and those records for A Marie, um, and and just maybe modernizing it slightly, you know, a touch more top end than A Marie, but um, but really it was a layup. I mean, between what Pharrell did and what Andrew did. And did you just, did you reference one thing like actually listen to it to check it out, or are you just remembering? You know, that, that, it's possible. I, I don't remember doing that. Um, I, I remember the vibe in the room when we were, when, when that was being played, you know, and at the time, Justin and James were both here on a daily basis and, and, and John was across the hall and, and I don't know if Tab was, was here, but, you know, um, everybody was flipping out. Right, and, and we had worked a lot with Rob, and we all love Rob because he's an amazing vocalist, um, and um, and he's he just 
he's just a character. He just commands attention in a really interesting way. Um, but, uh, but that song, just everybody was perked up. And so you knew it was something special. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and there was, I mean, that's a six hour mix with maybe four hours of notes. Um, and, and those four hours of notes are, you know, an hour here, hour here, a couple hours there, you know, right. It was like, Easy. sending me notes, you know, try this, do that, reapproach this, you know, that kind of thing. So all in all, not a, not a hard mix. Um, but you know, I think just in my lane, really. And I should know this, but had you done a lot of stuff with Pharrell before this? I had. Um, he and I had worked together a couple times on on several things, and um, I, and, and it slipped in my mind right now on what that was. Right. But, so that, but it wasn't the first. No, it wasn't the first time. first time we worked together, um, and he's also you know he's kind of like in in a similar way to rich harrison and he really lets you do your thing and he he, you know he's got several most important bits don't mess with him on those bits and then do your thing on the rest and then he'll he'll either like it or not and he'll push you in some other direction if he doesn't and do you get told what those bits are or it's just like when you pull up the track it's kind of okay Yeah, yeah yeah all right Oh, oh do, am I told which bits don't don't yeah. mess with? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that could be the snare drum or that could be, you know, the delay on this or whatever right. it is. And there's three or four bits that don't mess with those. Anything else you want to do is worth a try. <laughs> and uh and 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 because I think in the same way that Rich Harrison does, he you know, he's picking and choosing the people he wants to work with based on what he knows of them what he likes about them right right well i mean we can if there's anything in particular you wanted to talk because there's obviously uh pink stuff just sounds incredible (laughs) lady gaga stuff sounds amazing but there are a couple that are just maybe slightly more off your beaten path um one it's not that far off but the fits and the tantrums record but then also there's some weezer in there (laughs) so (laughs) yeah one song but i mean well how'd that come up like what's the deal with that uh i i think i think it was one of those i I can't remember what the what the backstory was completely it was for a movie or or something it was it was um you know it wasn't it wasn't for their album and and uh the co-writer producer i had actually met and and of course it's blanking and i should have prepared myself better but not (laughs) i think it's all you had to do was live the life there's no preparation going on you know i i he and i really got on well when we when we met before that record was done i think we met at, at a grammy event or something and um uh, super cool guy, and and um, and I am gonna find his name, um, but um, um, he, I think between him and 
the manager, they were like, let's, let's, this is one where we need it to be more pop or more, you know, me. And um, let's, let's throw it to Moz and, and give it a try. And everybody on board was happy about that idea. I think the only people who weren't happy were Weezer fans, basically. Yeah, well, I can almost guarantee you that Rivers knows exactly who you are because he is a gigantic pop fan. He okay. loves pop songs. He just okay. wants to play them loud and distorted. But yeah, it's yeah. all about songs, all about yeah. pop, R&B. Yeah. So, so I can imagine he would have been pretty psyched about that. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it was one of those things that worked for that moment and it worked for that, that song. And they were so nice and they let me do whatever I wanted and their comments were spot on. And even when I did stupid things, they weren't mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it did take, it did take a while to get it right. And I think that that, um, but I was amazed at how well it all worked with everyone involved. There was no, you know, you know, the manager wants this and I don't like that. Or there was none of that bullshit. It was all like, this is going in the right direction. Tweak these things, get them to be a little more like this. But, but they, they, they didn't try to, you know, force me to make it sound like their other records. Right. Cause I knew they were coming to me. For something else. They need, yeah, they wanted something else. They weren't coming to me for their record. You know, I I knew that this was a one-off. I wasn't getting an album from Weezer. Well, you know, <laughs> you never know. But I think it's, it's an interesting thing about um, songs for films. Because usually the people who mess with it are the film people. But on the music side, it's always by far the most relaxed you'll ever get with an artist because it's not the pressure of the next record it's not this entire career trajectory thing it's a like out of the blue like oh hey we're gonna do a song for a movie it's usually like this one a collaboration with somebody which is not something they'd normally do they can kind of go outside of their comfort zone and just see what happens and it won't matter and sometimes you know these are one-offs that don't really go anywhere and other times it's like that track or you know, the Chili Peppers love roller coasters, something where it becomes part yeah. of the canon for the artist, but it, there isn't that pressure on it, which is great. It creatively makes it a lot yeah. more fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, it's, it's one of the interesting things about um, our business in that, you know, we we become friends, but we do very different things. But then when I'm working on a B thing and I'm like thinking, oh, I need help, you know, I can call you and you do you, but you also do me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's kind of cool. And, and I think that, you know, we all do a similar thing, I think. And I think that, one of the lucky things that I've always felt about my career is that I have, I have been around prof- like true professionals most of the time. There are those, you know, occasions where you're like, ah, I just, you know, hope I never see this guy again. But, but for the most part, working with professionals is amazing because you don't need a lot of communication right. to get to this beautiful 
creative place. A lot of times it's, you know, okay, they usually call Mick, you know, like we were talking about with Tommy. Okay, obviously he's calling me, not because he wants me to make it sound like Mick, but because he wants maybe a little Mick in there, but then he wants whatever he thinks I am. Do you know what I mean? And what does he think I am? Does he think I'm Mary J or does he think I'm big or does he think I'm, you know, full force for right. sure? You know, you know what I'm saying? So I, th- you, you know, I think, but as a, also a professional person, I'm adding that all up whenever I get a phone call from someone. And I think that's the super cool thing about our business is that everyone is staging and, you know, when Martin calls me, I know that he's thinking four moves down the road of how this is going to work. And, you know, my ability to communicate with this guy is going to make this work for him. And, right. You know, and, and all of this is kind of how our business works. Um, 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 I mean, I think also, uh, um, you know, even at the level of, of A&R and management, you know, and how they're thinking about things, um, you know, and, and staging records is, is really smart. And we, as the, the technical people, have to make sure that we consider all of that as well. I mean, they, they're not going to come out and say, yeah, can you make it sound like Mick or make it, you know, or make it sound like Andrew Sheps? They're not going to say that. But I know that that's in the lexicon of what their brain is doing when they bring me something that's not typically me. And I know that I have to pay attention to that. And they're, they're appreciative of, of me acknowledging it, whether it's through my work or even verbally. Right. And, and I think that, you know, you know, some of that communication is part of learning and growing. And, and um, it, it is what, what helps you become a professional and helps you become widely accepted. Um, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think it's easy to sort of feel like you know, mixers have got a style and obviously we all hear things differently, but it's also the weirdest things that happen at the beginning of a mix can completely inform where that mix ends up. And it might be completely different from if that little thing didn't happen. Like for me, a lot of times it'll be something someone's written in the comments and all of a sudden that element will become way more important than it would have been if no one had bothered to write in the comments about it. And then like that, informs everything and if i mixed it the next day from scratch it'd sound totally different but yeah. within the aesthetic that is whatever it is so i think i think that is the thing it, it's that no matter where you go it will always be you but it might be with something else in mind mm-hmm. that in a way like the whole doing it for a film for the artist frees them up the oh, I'm going to go down a slightly different path. Like, I'm not just stuck with me on this one. I'm going to think about what someone else might do or what they might focus on. And it kind of, it frees you up in a way. 
by making you do something different, which is cool. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. I'm just, my brain is sort of going through all the connections involved in, in records that we're talking about and remembering, you know, I, I, you know, the thing as technicians or as more technical creative people that we are, we don't always think about things, you know, we, when I think about creative creativity, I'm thinking about guitar arrangement, you know, percussion, uh, you know, volumes and, and gluing this and making this, you know, uh, arrangement work and things like that. But, but when you're at the level of, of, of a manager or label executive, um, um, and, and, and certainly sometimes an artist, um, you know, the, the creative sphere is, is a much bigger thing. You know, I was just thinking about, um, about the, the Pharrell and Rob record, you know, remembering Neil Jacobson, who's an executive at, at Universal, had put me together with, with Pharrell as well. But my manager also, at, at the time, um, my manager had become friends with Neil, you know, and the conversations that they had creatively they're in their mind that's their creative conversation like wouldn't it be great if tone did this with right you know and then that and then you put these two people in a room together and you get this you know and and you know i think that this is this is also this underlying thing that continues it's part of the continuum of our music business you know we were talking about tommy and him pulling in track masters or puffy and 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 uh, uh, or Corey, my friend Corey, um, you know, and that's that's him being creative. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And then the artist says, "Oh yeah," and then why don't we pull this guy in to do the recording? And you know, all of these kind of creative things work out, and then there it is. So then, then you get a, a you know, then you get a, a, a smash record. And, right and and you know and you and i are sitting here talking about how i eq the vocal well you know it's I mean? why i'm trying not to talk about the eq but it, it's true because it's also when you're doing what we do it can be hard to remember that side of it because you feel like there's people who come in and they walk in and they say something that's half an idea and then they leave and you're like well yeah but now i got to do it and you're the one pushing the buttons and making it happen and all that. And you can almost resent their creative input. But if they hadn't said it, you wouldn't be doing it because you never would have thought of it. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's it takes all of it. It definitely does. And there's there's nobody who can do all levels of that creativity at the same time. So yeah. that's yeah. a good way to look at it. You got to be more generous about that sometimes. Because man, can we complain some, I mean, not even you, but just me I can certainly complain about stuff, but you know, it's as long as it's serving the art, it doesn't matter what it is or who it's coming from and you know, what form it takes. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and you, you know, as well as I do that sometimes production 
is not being nicey-nicey. Sometimes production is like shoveling in a, a, a bunch of shit and making some chaos happen because you think you're going to get this kernel of lovely creativity to happen for this moment in the song. And um, I've never been as good at that. Um, and maybe that's why I just mix and do less production. Well, you know, there there are lots of production styles too. I mean, and there's some people who would argue that you gotta you won't get a good performance till you get people riled up, or you haven't done your job if nobody's crying, or. Right, like, right, but yeah. that's. I mean, I just can't on a personal level. I just can't do that. I'd be apologizing as soon as I said anything to yeah. try and go in that direction. You know. It's just not who I am as a person. But I've, you know, I've seen lots of producers who don't work that way. But it, it's, it can be the exact same thing about making people comfortable enough to do stuff as opposed to making them uncomfortable. Either way yeah. can work and has been proven to work. But it's, I think it, it's also, it's the ability to never think about what it's going to take to accomplish something because that could put you off the idea. Like, wow, that's going to be hard. And as mm. soon as you've thought that, you've lost because yeah. it doesn't matter if it's hard or easy or, you know, it's amazing. Like the Pharrell track just comes together. Woohoo, it's done. But yeah. there are other things you've done that are just as successful that I'm sure have taken a ridiculous amount of time. You're pulling it through a keyhole to get it there. Yep, definitely. So you said once in an interview, which was, uh, and I've actually heard this a couple of times from you, and it's an interesting concept. I think while we're not just like, what'd you do on this record? Um, to run your career like a business and that's like a real concept of yours and i have a feeling that people watching this might not mind if you sort of gave your explanation of what you mean by that and how you actually put it into practice because it's pretty interesting well when i say run it like a business i mean um every business makes decisions about um their their income right so quarter to quarter income. And I don't mean, you know, during COVID. I mean, yeah, you know, normal, normal, in world. your normal period. But you you have to say, okay, did did we how did we do quarter one of you know 2019 and quarter one of 2018? And were those numbers, you know, in our business if my numbers are, you know, close, I'm happy. I, I don't feel like I need to, you know, I don't know that I can make double or even 25% more at this point in my career because I get paid a certain amount of money. There are only certain number of days in the year. I technically work by the hour. You know, I'm not a salaried, you know, performer. I, I work by the hour. And if there are no more hours in the day. That's it. I'm, right. I'm not going to make much more money. So, you know, um, but as a young person, you know, what I did was say, okay, in, you know, like my first manager, I said exactly. to her. Exactly. He was just thinking about that. You know, if, if, if I hire you, I want to make 25% more this year than I made last year. And, you know, she knocked it out the park. I made 50% more, you know. Um, and, you know, I have my sister as my bookkeeper. I, I, I've never been able to give 
give that to a stranger. So my sister is my bookkeeper. So every every year, my sister does, you know, a, a rundown. Here's where we were 2017. Here's where we are quarter by quarter 2018. And then, you know, this like this year in July, she sent me a comparison of th- at this point last year and at this point this year, this is where we're at, you know. Um, now, that's just numbers. Those are just numbers. But the, but it's also, you have to include everything in that, right? So, um, because, and I'm talking about just income. I'm not talking about expenses. Um, because one of the things that I try to teach, whether whether I'm teaching, you know, a seminar or whether I'm teaching my apprentices, one of the things I try to teach them is, I have seen many people fail in this business. And one of the easiest ways to determine if you are good at this is that if people pay you. And and I can attest to that because people have paid me to do this job for a good many years. Now, have I had low periods? Yes. And what I look at in those low periods is what am I doing wrong? What do I need to change? Either what what is stagnant and needs to be upgraded, whether it be equipment or attitude or bringing in a, 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 a new apprentice, you know, or getting a bunch of new software. I don't, you know, I don't know, but, but I have analyzed you know, performance of myself and my business in that way. And I think that all students should do that because, you know, generally kids are taught like, oh, you can do anything you want in life. <laughs> right. And, and I'm sorry. It's just not true. It's just not. If you're not getting work, it's because you're not good enough. I'm, I'm sorry. And that doesn't mean that you're not good enough with the technology. Right. Yeah. It's you're not good enough at something though. Something is missing because you might, you just might not be good enough at interpreting what somebody's looking for. You might not be good enough. You know what? They might not like the way you eat. I don't know yeah. what it is, but <laughs> the, you know, this is a, to be successful it takes a lot of different things. You and I just don't sit here and tweak knobs. We communicate, we interpret, we 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 make people feel feel comfortable with the way that we speak. We put our sentences together in a way that they understand. They're all these things. And we run our business in a way that works for us. So that when someone calls and asks for a favor, we're like, oh, yeah, dude, you know, whatever that is, you know, we, we put it together in a way that makes our business work so that we can do a variety of things within the structure of our business and we communicate in a way that makes our clients happy. Now, I've worked, I've not, I know and you know many people who have, whether they started at the same time as you that are no longer doing it or they have diverted to something else, that happens. 
Yeah. And and all I can say there, you know, I have I have maybe a couple friends in particular who have been trying to do this for too long. And and I say I try to be honest with them, like, you know, maybe you should get into something else. Maybe do something else. You're really good at this. Do that, maybe. And and you know, that's what I say to my close friends, my apprentices or my students, I'll be bluntly honest. With right. Them. You know, I have had apprentices or wannabe apprentices in this room who I've said to, you talk too much. So you need to fix that. And now you can go. Right. And go fix that and go work. You know, I've had one guy came here and I was like, you, you know, you have a lot of opinions. I think you'd be a better manager. And and I've also had people who, you know, who have been great at, at engineering, but I just didn't want to be in a room with them. Right. You know? And and no one is willing to look at themselves in this way. No, it's such a random profession, seemingly, that it's very easy to blame it on luck. Everything is to do with luck, and you know that's why you're not working is bad luck. And, or you know, there's yeah. there's that guy dislikes me. You know, ugh, yeah. Every, and look, it might be true, but I love that it, it's you've got to hold yourself accountable for what's going on in your life, no matter if it's your fault or not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're the one living the life, and this is what's going on. And also, I love the fact that it's about setting goals with time limits on them to reassess that goal. And you can come back and reassess it and say, that was a stupid goal. Forget it. Yeah, that's right. New goal. But yeah. not just, I'm going to hit my head against this wall until I die blaming other people for why there's a wall here in the first place. Yeah, you got, you got, and you got, and, and I think the numbers help, you know, when, when, um, you know, um, when people or friends have come to me and, and been like, you know, I'm, I'm just not working, I can't get to work, I don't know what's going on, you know, you, you, you have to look at the numbers and realize either you are doing something wrong or you are consistently doing something wrong. You know, I mean, I've been lucky enough to, 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 okay, these numbers are not good. Let me make some changes. And that those changes have been everything, as I mentioned, whether it's gear or how I communicate or where I work or whatever it is. But if you are consistently not getting work, there, there are some real systemic problems right. in what you're doing, and you, you, you really need to evaluate them dramatically. And, um, and, and some of that, you know, you know clients aren't going to tell you what the problem is. No, they don't. They, and your friends no. aren't going to tell you what the problem is generally. You know, um, I, you know, my my partner Steph sometimes calls me the dream killer because, <laughs> you know, I, I try to be honest with, with people. They, they come in here, they've got a dream. You know, I've, I, I had one woman who, you know, she brought her music in to me, you know, I'm, I'm going to say five years ago. And then, you know, 
Two years later, she brings in music, you know, and I give her comments or whatever. Two years later, she comes in with something that is still nowhere near good enough. And then another two years, you know, or a year later, she brings in some more stuff. And, and I'll, and I'll, you know, finally I'll be like, and at this point now I know her a little bit. And at, at, at this point I'll say to her, you know what? I don't think you're good enough. I don't hear it in what you're writing or what you're performing or whatever's happening. You're not good enough. But what I know of you now is that you are really good at these things. Like you're great at organizing people and talking to people and, you know, creating environments and uh, friend, friend, collectives and things like that why don't you be a manager yeah artist management you just described it yeah why don't you do that because you're really good at that people love you you know but this is never going to happen for you and you're wasting your energy and your talent your god-given talent of like you remember everybody's name i can't fucking remember a person's name after they've given it to me oh yeah absolutely And the one thing a manager should be able to do is remember names. Like for years, they remember names. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I and, and I've done that to other people. I had a, a woman came in. She was going to be my, you know, personal assistant, executive assistant. And, she, you know, she wanted to be an artist. And I was like, oh, okay. Not what I was looking for, but okay. And then to come to find out she's 22 She's never written more than one song. And, you know, and I'm just like, and she had a degree and a job and she quit. And I was like, do you think Beyonce just woke up one day and was Beyonce? You know, she started when she was probably six. Yeah. He's, you know, talent is... I mean, sure, there are There's those... There's always the core of the super talent, but... It doesn't just, you don't just get out of bed and there it is. I mean, even the super talent works their ass off for most of their life. You know, sure, there's, I don't know, Serge Gainsbourg who just parties and then, you know, (laughs) wakes up in the studio and makes a record and people love it. And and I'm sure that there are those people, but, (laughs) but, but. Most people who are successful in this business have given blood and guts to the point where then they get, if they're lucky, they get a little payback, you know? That'd be like me and you saying, oh, we're going to be actors now. Uh, you want to act, don't you? You know, and, and yeah. then we're going to- I'm going to have my own interview show. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, we're going to try and do this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah know, look, I'm not getting on late night TV anytime yeah, soon. Exactly. It's you know, just, yeah. you know, it, it's there's there's a lot of work that goes into it. But, well, but um, I think I really think that you know what you're doing. Okay, you're the dream killer, maybe, but but pointing out to people what they're good at is something that actually needs to be done because the thing that they're good at comes so naturally they don't recognize that is that they're better than everyone else they just think oh well that's easy instead of actually embracing it exactly and you know i mean i've got some talent in my mixing but i don't none of it comes easily and it takes me a huge amount of time and blah 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 whereas 
like I can talk to people. So, okay, maybe I should be doing this instead because it would be a hell of a lot easier. But people don't want to pay to have me talk to them. So that's not going to happen. But right. it, it's it's got to be really useful. And hopefully a lot of the people you're you're telling this to are actually taking it to heart. Because it's, it's, of course, they're getting some of the best advice they'll ever get in the middle of a conversation that is the hardest thing they've ever had to hear about themselves even though yeah. it has the really useful constructive stuff in it but i mean have any of these people sort of like embraced it and gone on and kind of there was there was a guy at uh at Fran in france at, at la fabrique and mixed with the masters who um you know he played me his stuff and and it had lots of problems um, and that happens, of course. And sometimes that's just the room or the speakers. Portugal, the man. I mean, <clears throat> I'm blaming that on the room. It's the room. <laughs> um, but, um, but he, he, you know, we chatted and I got to know him a little bit and found out like, oh, like he builds his own gear and he's got an electrical engineering degree and blah, 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 blah. And come to find out he's built gear for people and they love it and blah, blah. and I and I was just like wait what huh like you do this right like that's the gig what you know why why would why do why do you disregard the thing that you're really freaking good at to go and do something that is really hard to make money at and there's like you're look one you're in a room full of you're 14 people in this room who want to do it yeah. As well as the thousands of people every year that think they are it. And, you know, it's like you've got this gift. Do this thing, you know. And and he actually had, you know, he had sort of shifted his life and is doing that. And 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 through another friend from Mixed with the Masters um, in that seminar, um, I found out that he's he's actually doing really well. Great, and building gear, repairing gear, and and designing gear, which you know is awesome, man. Yeah, you know? that takes a. I mean, I'm a product talent. of it. I I am a product of this idea of being told honestly whether or not you're fucking any good. Right. Yeah. Stop playing guitar, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Stop playing guitar. You suck at it. But also, even throughout you know, my years as, as an assistant, you know, being told like, what, what are you doing here? Like, this is, this method is not going to work, you know? So in other words, my editing myself and my, what I'm strong at, what I'm right. not strong. Which is um, an important point because it's not necessarily like if it's not working out, go do something totally different, but you need to assess and figure out if it's a small tweak within the thing or if yeah. you really are going down the wrong road. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that I, I try to be honest with, with young people because this is not an easy life. I mean, even, you know, people who want to be artists as well. You know? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a really difficult thing. Um, and, uh, and I consider it a gift that we, that I've had success. Um, and, and I treasure it every day. And, and that's why I'm so diligent at, you know, oh, am I doing good? Oh, you know, 
have I listened to Justin when he tells me I'm doing something wrong or I, <laughs> there's a better method or, or whoever, you know, it is that, that talks to me about, about my methodology or my Well, I, look, I know we said Justin's a really nice guy, but he's kind of a dick like that, isn't he? <laughs> totally kidding. There's, there's absolutely nothing about Justin that's a dick. Like he's oh, that's not true. He's oh. very firm. Yes, he's very well. Firm but is he being a with dick? Younger with younger people, and even with me, I, I, he will be firm with me. All right, and, all uh, right. <laughs> and it's, it's fine quality. There's nothing well, wrong with it. Justin, if he says it, he, he's right. You know. Well, we used to we you know we used to have this thing about Justin because. Don't worry, he, he can't hear you. I'm sure he's not watching. I'm I'm positive he's not. <laughs> Already heard all this, but. He he didn't he was never a big talker ever. Um, but he actually worked with me, continued to work with me on the Robbie Robertson stuff. And from even that early time, he would he would just throw out the one perfect, you know, ball. It was just you know we'd all be talking and joking and you know jiving and you know you know everybody trying to outwit each other. And Justin would just lob this perfect, you know, <laughs> yeah. whether it's a one-liner or a joke or full-on, you know, t discussion about, you know, something in the speakers that we're working on, whatever it was, it was, and there wouldn't be anything else, just that one. And we'd all just sit back and go, killed it. That that was it. Justin, <laughs> you're absolutely right. That That's it. You know, and he would do that consistently all the time and it wasn't like he would been thinking about it over and over no, it just, no. just just perfect boom yeah unbelievable yeah he's, he's the epitome of if you don't have something worth saying don't say anything and then he's got something worth saying yeah yeah and there are times that they're just gems i wish i had them on tape because they were that good <laughs> really really just gems and you know robbie robertson doesn't matter who's in the room right could be the biggest star you're just just lobs one over and everybody's like oh my god that's the best you know either diffuses a tense situation or you know totally illuminates what the actual problem is in the mix or is just a joke right like a straight up in, you know, impressive joke. And, and you just like, it just makes the whole room go, Oh my God, this is, I'm so glad this guy's in the, in the room. <laughs> right. And well, and that's the gig. Yeah. That's the fucking gig. That is the gig. The people hiring us want to make sure, you know, want to, want to believe that we're the right person to be in the fucking room with them. Yeah. That's really what it is. Anyway, there you go. Do we get anything done? Did we get anything done? I don't know. We didn't mention the Dandy Warhols yet. We Dandy really... Warhols? Yeah, Fitz and the Tantrums didn't talk about them. Oh, yeah. Fitz and the I mean, but look, do like I say, I, we could do that, but it just feels like me going, it, it's like the, the Chris Farley interviews where it's like, so you work with um, uh, Weezer. What was that like? <laughs> that, that, that was cool, huh? Uh, you know, so we could yeah. just open this up to some questions. We can get Mark in here and and get some oh, wow. questions from the people. Got all about questions. So let let's do that. Enough of me blabbing, and I love this last chunk of because I think it's really useful. It's it, it, you've got to learn how to think about your own career 
And it, it goes for me as much as someone who's just starting out. Because one of the questions that will always come up, and it might be it's in this chat, is like, what advice would you give to someone starting out? And the advice is to just be honest with yourself at all times, really. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you mean, can't predict people, what the situation's going to be. You know, my guys often will, will, will talk about, you know, buying gear. And that's, that's one of those that you and I have probably both been, um, uh, you know, at times in our lives, not smart about. I mean, now I don't buy gear, man, unless no. it's going to make me money. I don't buy gear. Well, see, I was always fiscally terrified, which is why almost all my gear was vintage. Like, I just couldn't. Yeah. It, I just couldn't make myself do it. I don't know if it's smart or scared, but. You know, there's tons of new stuff that I'd completely missed out on because I just wouldn't yeah. buy it. But, but oh, yeah. I mean, look, I'm sitting next to a gigantic modular synth that really doesn't get switched on that much. But uh, it's yeah. cool. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, I, you know. I, I've got a couple of those choice ones that will never leave me no matter what. But that's a nostalgia thing in some ways and also just a pride thing. But... But I've had gear like, ugh, just what I haven't turned that thing on in three years, man. Yeah. And now I'm just like, if it doesn't get used, it's gone. Right. Got to make me money. <laughs> so don't buy <laughs> gear, kids. That's what we're well, saying. You know, it's, it's like, you know, the the question is, what do I buy? Do I buy the mic pre or do I buy the the EQ or you know, what do I buy first and and everyone asks me that question, but, but I, I, I you know, which Mike Pree is going to make you the most money? That's, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if you want to, if you want to buy it because you think it's like, it's great, that's cool. But it really, then you're buying it the same way someone who's nowhere near the business buying it is buying it. Your answer is exactly it. Which Mike Pree is going to make you more money? That's a work decision. Yeah. And that's the way you have to answer a question about, I want to be better at this job, so what do I buy? Yeah. Not, well, you know, the Neve's got the warm sound. It's like, are you going to make money because you got a Neve? Or is it not going to make a difference at all? Yeah. You want to plug right into the back of your Apollo, and it's fine. Yeah, Absolutely. So, and the gear is awesome. I love it. But, you know, having almost none of it left, it's like, I, it's like I'm missing it. It's, uh, it is just gear. Anyway, we don't have to go down that path too deeply. But should we get Mark in here and get some questions from people who hey. actually have questions? Hi, Mark. Hello. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Good. <laughs> this has been fascinating, guys. It's good. It's awesome weird doing a part two because, like, when it's when it's all in one... It's like right from the beginning, I'm, you plow through. Whereas now I've had time, went back and watched a little bit of what we'd already done. Like, you know, we don't need to. I'm glad we got on to just the, some more philosophy stuff. Yes. And big picture yeah. stuff. Yeah, definitely. I like your Chris Farley reference as well. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> me, except I'm not nearly as funny. Beyonce, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, Okay, so uh, Tony, uh, kind of the same thing as last time. We have uh, this platform called Crowdcast where the main chat room is and people submit their questions and then they vote each other's up and all that stuff. So 
We'll just start with the most voted question and go right through. He's checking email right now, though. So, oh, you know what? Oh, okay. I, I promised that I would I would find the writer producer of the Weezer thing. Johnny uh, all right. So, sorry, who is it? Mention that Johnny Coffin. Nice. Cool. <laughs> Doing uh, your own yeah, research. Yeah. I'm ready. Whatever you whatever you guys tell me to do. You're gonna read the question. Okay. Mark's gonna read some yeah. questions. Okay. Okay. So this question comes from Joaquin. And he says, How do you approach very dynamic vocals? Example, singer with incredibly powerful voice from almost silent to very loud, or pop classical crossovers. How would you keep the vocal consistent but not crush it? Pop, pop classical or pop classic crossover? Um, pop classical crossover. Just like super dynamic. I mean, we talk about Christina Aguilera, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a, a lot of work uh, is involved in a very dynamic vocal. In fact, I'm working with somebody right now who is um, very dynamic. Um, and... The way that I deal with it is, I'll try to make this short and sweet. Um, one, I have to automate EQ because, you know, if you're in a low section and either it's a it's a lower range of the vocal or just a, 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 a you know, let's, let's say the verse is closer to the mic, say, and, and, and sort of more, you know, a lower section, and he's not blowing, and then he makes it to the chorus where he is, well, his throat is going to change, and that's going to change the EQ. Even if he's using the same microphone, his, his throat is going to change. And you need to, you, you need to adjust your EQ. Um, obviously, in the, in the verse, you, you're probably going to take out a little bit of the lows, maybe the low mids, and control that more, either, either with a multiband compressor or automating the EQ. And then when he gets into the spot where he's squeezing his throat and, and pushing harder, you're going to allow some of that low frequency back into the EQ or change the threshold of the multiband compressor, depending on which one you're using. Um, and so, so, and, and you're going to change your upper frequencies as well, because when he's singing light lower, you're going to, you're going to, reduce some of the bottom end and push maybe a little bit of top. And then when it gets harder, you're going to, you're going to maybe reduce a little bit of the higher mids and push the bottom in the EQ. That's one thing. Then there's also parallel EQ, um, which uh, the, the master of parallel EQ is here with parallel particles, right? Parallel and, compression. And, yeah. I don't know. And, uh, did I say parallel EQ? Yeah. I meant parallel compression. Um, you know, that I'm, I'm massaging that, in, you know, riding that uh, um, so that it never, you never really want to hear too much parallel compression. You want it to be used uh, in a way where you never lose a vocal and you decide where, right. uh, you know, that vocal is sitting whether it's super close to the listener or further back, um, you know, because as, as the vocalist is pushing hard in the chorus, 
you're going to be pushing, you know, obviously reverb is going to get, you're going to get more reverb. So you want to bring up that parallel compressor so that you don't lose the positioning of the vocalist. Mm. Right. Um, so that's the minute and a half version of nice. what I do. Um, and, 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 but it is a lot of massaging. And it's a lot of work to get that right. And then there are those vocalists who are just amazing singers and have great mic technique who you slap an LA-2A on there and boom, you're done. Right. You know, as I, as I had said, Jason Mraz is one of those. And, and B actually is one of those as well. I mean, I could put a, an RS-124 on B and maybe a little bit of top-end EQ here and there or, you know, automating the EQ and done depending on the song of course um but uh yeah so nice yeah great answer okay uh our next question is from chao carvalho and he asks uh tips on having a huge reverb but keeping the vocals in your face kind of might answer this uh when it sounds like the reverb and delays are only in the back and not on the vocal um, again, quick answer, automate your, your pre-delay on, on, the, on the voice. Um, that'll help. Uh, obviously, automate and, and ride your, your parallel compression. Um, and I just, I add and take away reverbs, depending on what section is, I'm in. So I'll ride reverb you know my my long reverb or my short reverb you know i'll ride them separately throughout the mix so that you know that that riding feels the way i want it to feel but i'm hoping that it feels natural um i mean obviously nothing that comes out of the speakers is natural right i mean unless you're recording a jazz band and everybody's playing at the same time and they're in the same room and all the mics you know it, it, there's nothing natural it's it's like a movie you know the footsteps are some guy with he high heels on in a foley room right it's the same thing with with making records wait what you've just <laughs> ruined movies for me <laughs> <laughs> Every time he hears footsteps now, he's going to imagine a guy with high heels on. Huh? I'm going to imagine you with high heels. <laughs> That's uh -oh. right, me with high heels. I almost, I almost booked a room with, like I, by the month, a, a foley, an old foley room, and I was like, this would be awesome, man. We could just like put footsteps and and cool <laughs> sound effects in our records. Anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to make it sound natural in an environment that is not. Um, and I'm doing anything I can, and that is riding different, different kinds of EQs. You know, I might use a, a, a you know, a church for one thing, which is more stone, and then I might use a more woody thing for another section of the song. Obviously, making it sound as natural transitionally. I don't know if that answers awesome. it. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, Joaquin just put in the chat, he says, I could cry right now. This is so helpful. Thanks for that one minute and a half of gold. So. Great. Well, don't don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> Unless I killed his dream. Well, right. that's coming. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, 
Here's a good one from Alejandro Alvarez. Uh, he asks, did you ever want to quit in your early days? And how do you stay motivated? Yeah, there, I'm, I'm, this, this is no different, you know, than being an artist. Every artist wants to quit. Every artist wants to give up. Every artist wants to jump off a cliff. That's, that is part of our job. And, and I'm sure, Andrew, you feel very, well, you've had children for a very long time, so you don't want to kill yourself, but I. I <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you contemplate, I mean, you know, and not, not being flippant about it, but you, yeah, yeah, yeah it's brutal. It is brutal being, you know, I, I, I don't think of myself necessarily every day as an artist, but we are, and being an artist is a very difficult lifestyle and we are being scrutinized every minute of every day um and that 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 wears on you um even today so it's a, it's a tough life yeah and, and i think for me especially you know in the first third where there's not much going on and you're really trying to work it out the motivation is just well, what would I be doing otherwise? And I actually took other jobs. I mean, I was a tech at a studio for three days and gave my two weeks notice when I got off the road because I was touring and like, I can't do that anymore. But I knew all I wanted to do was make records and fortunately banged at it hard enough and obviously a little bit of talent in there, whatever, to be able to do it. But um, yeah, I mean, it was thinking about what the alternative was. But it's i think what tony was saying before goes into this though is that if that doesn't motivate you as much as it needs to to get through the horrible shit then go do the something else because i mean what gift what a gift if you can say you know what i'm just going to work like with my friend's band who i think is awesome but i don't have to make a living at this or i'm going to write songs to just go play in open mic nights because i really enjoy that and i love writing yeah. songs but i'm no longer going to try and get over the hump of this especially when someone who knows as much as someone like tony is saying like i don't think it's there if you can accept that and it works for you that's amazing and if you absolutely cannot accept it well there's your motivation and you're going to have that every day yeah yeah, it's it's a you know, it is a difficult lifestyle, and and um, and you've got to reckon with it, and and I think that you know, I go in and out of reckoning. <laughs> you know, there there are definitely days when I'm I'm like fuck this, I'm I'm out, you know, um, and and um, yeah, so it's it's a tough one. Yeah. It's, um, it, you know, it may not be the most positive thing, but it's, uh, it's actually, well, one, thanks for, you know, humanizing it a little bit. And it's, uh, it's kind of a good thing to hear that even on the level that you guys are at, you also struggle with that. Oh, absolutely. But it's like, yeah. I think you're a great example of someone who deals with it really well. Instead of sitting home and being a mixer but you're still working your way up and just like well you know it's not happening yet how come not blah, blah, blah. you found other things to do and like in the stuff you're doing at pure mix is amazing and all of that is helping you with the actual mixing part so diversifying oh, isn't giving so. up <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it, it's actually really yeah. helping you. I mean, I, I don't think you would have run into John Paterno, who I know you've been doing some stuff with, and it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's smart. It's smart to be, if you're driven to do it, then put that energy into doing stuff. And if the stuff can't be making hit records, then do something around it that could help you get there. Yeah, it's been like rocket fuel for me. It's crazy. Yeah, just, I mean, obviously, like getting in the room with you guys and just even on the video, she's just being able to be in the room with you and watch that stuff happen in real time. And, and all of that's just been incredible. Like, I felt like my progression as an engineer just went through the roof there. But awesome. Yeah. I, I just want to add, you. you know, in and out of the frustration, I've, I've also, you know, Yes, I've asked myself, what else What else am I going to do? But, but one of the things that I've always realized is I, I, I just want to be involved in some creative process, primarily musically, because that's what I do and like. But, you know, if somebody had said to me early in my career, ah, you're not good enough or whatever, or I just didn't get enough work, I'm sure I would have been doing some tweaky, geary, musically thingy in my life. It's not like I'm, I, I would have been a real estate or, you know, I, this is what I do. This is what I like. This is who I am. So I think that, yes, it's, it's smart to, to assess, but it's also, you know, it's okay to be comfortable in some realm of, of if this is what you like to do, realize that there's a comfort zone there too. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, okay, so let's do another question from these guys. Um, this this would be interesting. It'd be neat to see what you guys are doing these days with it. Um, so this is another one from Alejandro. He says, hello, Andrew and Tony. What advice would you give to clients uh, when sending mixes to you or other engineers? When sending mixes or like sending the stuff to be mixed? I, I think that he means the stuff to be mixed since he says clients. So. Tony? So do you guys have like, yeah, how do you request files from people? And I mean, I could be specific. I, I just, I've got it like a little one-page thing that my manager sends that nobody ever reads. I personally want the Pro Tools session that made the rough mix that you've sent me that everybody's mm -hmm. listening to. I need to open it up and it needs to sound like that. I know Pro Tools well enough that I'm fine to get your slightly messy section session as long as tracks are named. Fine, leave the routing, leave the automation. I can sift through it. Other people will want the stuff flattened, but it still has to sound that way. And it's rough mixes are not rough mixes. They're so involved. And none of that happened in the recording process. It's all in the mixing process that that's, that's how I want stuff. Um, and if it can't be in Pro Tools, then it's a bucket full of wave files that's processed and unprocessed. But if I decide to use the process, it's going to sound like where you left off. And then I can always go back and undo things. So that's, that's how I like to get it. Exactly. Yep. I, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I could add only one thing to that, and that is, you know, my assumption is that the artist has been involved in that process 
Um, I know most of the artists I work with are involved in that, that pre-mixing stages. The last thing I want to do is, you know, try to recreate something that they love, yeah. that they've been living with for a year. You know, I don't want to have to recreate it. I can, but I prefer not to. Well, much like you're talking about the Pharrell tracks you get where it's like, okay, don't mess with this, this, and this. There's a huge difference between don't change this, this, and this, or you better make those three things sound exactly the way I did. And like, yeah. that's ridiculous. It's yeah. ridiculous. If you spent the time, you've spent the time. And I think it's for other engineers working on projects that can be really difficult for the tracking engineer who feels as though, well, hold on, I've mixed the record, but now you're yeah. sending it to someone else and they want to strip the stuff off. But it's, and I've definitely been on the other end of this. I've tracked lots and lots of records that I did not get to mix. That is part of the production process. It doesn't matter if you're mixing. I mean, it, you talk about the stuff that we would get from Stuart on, I mean, I've only had experience with two tracks, but EXO and No Angels showed up like, you, you sure this still needs mixing? And then once you get into it, you realize like, oh, here's what I can do and what I can yep. do. But so advanced, so much automation and creative stuff going on that was just Sonics, but he's making the record. You don't yeah. strip the stuff off. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Cool. Uh, but you got to so... name the tracks. You can't send stuff out that says audio one. <laughs> <laughs> With, uh, yeah, crazy routing, like the dog bus. That's all, all right. right. Um... I don't care. I don't care what you call it <laughs> as long as you call it something. Right. <laughs> Okay, so Adam Kessler asks, how important was your manager or management in your success? Um, mine was a partnership, 50-50. Really, I'm not kidding. I've only had two managers. And uh, my first manager was a woman named Duffy Mockery, and that was my partner. She, she is to this day still one of my best friends on the planet, and um, and and my clients would call her and have like psychology sessions, you know. I mean, she, everyone, and I'm I'm saying like they wouldn't even talk to me like they talked to her, mm -hmm. and um, and um, you know she she got me paid. She brought in a, an air of 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 uh professionalism that I, that I probably didn't have and and my current manager Jason same thing just he's you know my partner and and we're doing this together this is our business he's got other guys Duffy didn't have as many other people as Jason does um but um but nonetheless I I feel it's a partnership and uh we're trying to run a business together and, and I, I make decisions together. I, I ultimately, it's my decision in the end what to do. Um, but, you know, no, it's very, very important. For me, it has been. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if whoever, whoever's watching this who didn't watch part one, 
You can skip through on YouTube if you don't don't want to watch the whole thing, though it's quite good. Um, but there's a, a big conversation about how you ended up being with Duffy. So I think it, it's definitely worth mm. watching. It's a great explanation oh, yeah, of the that, dynamic of of how that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a thing. <laughs> it's a funny thing too. And yeah, but it's an amazingly wonderful thing. Awesome. Do you have anything to add to that, Andrew? Um, no, I mean it, it is it's the same. It it's like the I mean, there's there are a million different ways to think about how it is, but I, I love the way Tony describes it because you've got someone involved in your career, because that's the deal. You're not, especially when they have a larger roster, like you're not involved in their career really. They're involved in your career more, but it's it's a partnership, and they're there because they have skills you don't have. They can do things that you cannot do, and you've got to realize that. And it's. It's a weird thing, especially when you're younger, where it's like getting a manager seems like, oh, now I'll finally work. And like, well, but that's not the way that works either. I mean, one of the very first things Frank McDonough ever said to me was, I don't get people work. Now, that's not true. There's tons of work that's come through him because he's got relationships I would never have. And someone will send him stuff and say, who you got that's good for this or whatever. And he can get me work that I want sometimes that I couldn't possibly get myself because he's good at talking to people. I cannot talk to somebody unless there's a reason for me to talk to them in their minds. I can't go introduce myself. Even now, I can't walk up to a band and say, God, I think you guys are great. Look, oh, you want to work together. I can't do it. So that's something Frank's really good at. So it's absolutely a partnership of overlapping uh, goals, but really distinct skill sets. Can I can I throw in a, a story? Yes. Okay. So everything you're saying is exactly correct. Managers don't get your work, but so and and I'm also gonna I'm gonna amplify the point of not walking up to somebody and say. I really love your music <laughs> and want to work with you. Did I tell cool. you the story? Or no, I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I, I went to a, a show that the Roots were doing. This is I don't know, 15 plus years ago. I went to a show the Roots were doing, and I love the Roots. I just think they're amazing and, and really smart and funny and and great musicians and and a friend of mine like brought me backstage and I did exactly that only add some alcohol to the whole situation right and probably some weed <laughs> and and then I'm in I'm in their in their fucking dressing room and it's the show's over they just did their set and I'm just like I love you guys <laughs> You know, I really want to work with you. Uh, you know, here, here's my no. I don't know if I gave him my number or whatever. You know, just and how don't that go? Do it. Just don't, don't, don't. To this day, and I and I tell people freely, just don't do it. Whereas, whereas my manager could have, you know. If I had just gone in there and said, hey, great job, great Exactly. Set. Then they would have been like, oh, and he wants to work with us too. Oh, that's awesome. Not, and, and my, yeah. Well, my manager could call up the next day and go, hey, Tony saw your set, loves you. You know, she has no problem making cold calls, you know. Um, but 
But you and I sitting there saying, really, really dig this way, this record, you know, because really all you're doing is saying whoever they made a record with previously yeah, was really good and you should use them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where right. the manager is going to call up and go, yo, you need Tony. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you also, <laughs> you're never as well informed as you should be. And it's because no. I, I pulled, I'd completely forgotten about this. But so a friend of mine, Joel Shear, amazing guitar player. He lives in LA and he had a band and we did an EP and we did a residency at the Viper Room. So we're playing like every Monday for a month or once a month for four, whatever it was. So Joel's friends with Damien Rice. And so Damien comes over. Now this is before the first album has even come out, Damien's album. And so Damien's like, hey, well, I'll open. Cause like, it's just our night, like whatever. So. Damien's gonna open and he just and he did a cover of Creep. And mm. it was like, I mean, everything Damien does, it was just jaw-dropping. Holy shit. And mm. I'd like I talked to him a little bit beforehand because Joel's like, hey, it's my friend Damien. He's a singer. What he's gonna do a song tonight. Like, okay, great. And I went up to him and said, Man, that was really amazing. I'd love to mix something for you at some point. And he gave me like the death eye at that because yeah. he made if you don't know the story the first record he made basically in his bedroom and recorded everything and mixed it all himself and he's so meticulous and there's an aesthetic that you cannot get if you're not inside his head and it was like i said i'd really like to punch you in the face several times right. like would that be okay right. and it's because i'm an idiot i don't know how to talk i should have just said yeah. you're amazing yeah it's, you know it's all you need just let the manager do the fucking talking. Yeah. Shut so that's it. Up. So that's yeah. it. So that's the don't drink and don't tell people that you want to work with oh. them. Just tell them how much you love them. <laughs> oh, you're but really that's good, it. man. Yeah. Right. Right. You're fucking awesome. I really love your set, man. <laughs> <laughs> we had um we had uh the manager at Flux on for a live stream during the um the whole stay at home thing. And he actually had a really, really good tip about just drinking at parties and shows in general, yeah. which was just like a, a reminder that it's like you are basically working in that moment. Okay. If you're right. at a show, if you're at a networking event, you're on the clock. So, you know, make sure you can perform kind of a thing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't get sloppy. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So uh, somebody just pointed out that Mole came through. Oh yeah, gone. well, Mole and Squid had a really good fight earlier. They also, I wasn't going to interrupt Tony, but they, they've taken to now, they can't be bothered to go around to the cat door, so they just meow at the window. And for about 10 minutes, they're like looking at me. Normally, I let them in. And they must be thinking like, what a dick. What's going on? <laughs> so yeah, but they're, they're both in. Squid's, squid's on the chair. Here, can... I brought him a mouse last week. What's the problem? Yeah, there's, there's nice. Squid and Mole's elsewhere doing mole stuff i don't know <laughs> okay uh so one person in the uh chat wanted to say thanks for giving the pyramids community the opportunity to mix a jason mraz track i learned a lot from it and what were the reasons that made tony choose the top mixes um you know uh, the choices I made were based around um, uh, how I thought they paid attention 
to the song um, and the performance um, and their execution of that. I think that um, um, I, th I think overall it felt like people were trying to do my mix. Um, and whenever I thought somebody was trying to do their own thing or, or step out, I thought that was a positive. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I would judge anybody's work, including my own. Mm -hmm. I think it's really Have important. I, I mentioned this earlier that it, if we mix the same song twice in a row, we would not do the same thing. It, you, you start down a road with the very first thing you do, and that informs everything that happens. Getting a phone call halfway through informs the like everything that happens. Mixing is pretty random, actually, yeah. and the way the stuff gets built up is so. Th the point being, obviously, especially like on that record, the mixes are amazing, but copying it proves nothing it's a great exercise doing a sound alike is one of the best teaching tools you can ever do and i think for tracking way more than even mixing like you go make mm -hmm. something sound like Soundgarden. good luck yeah like right. do black hole sun yeah you got some skills there you go and you will learn a bazillion things but that's not you can't make a living doing sound alikes unless mm -hmm. you're weird al who makes a very good living doing that Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, so on on that note, actually, um, when you when you guys do a mix for for a you know big artist or a small artist, but um, maybe like some of the more high pressure ones where uh, you might have a rough from them, and I know that the like general thing is that you're you're trying to stay in the same vein of the rough, but when you try something like um, going with like a tonal shape of the mix. And that comes back is not what they wanted. Do you guys usually have conversations about like, well, we can take it this other direction, or is that the point where they're like, mm, well, we sent it to three mixers and we're going to go with another another one because it came in closer or something? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it makes sense. I think it depends on what your impetus was, right? If your impetus is that their direction is is not serving the song that well. Um, you know, I think I, I just did a mix for a, a, a friend and a client. Um, um, and, you know, I thought I knew exactly what this guy liked. And, and I stuck pretty close to the rough because generally he works a lot on the rough. And, you know, I was surprised that when I, when I, sent it to him and he came back and he was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not digging this. And it was a relief actually, because mm -hmm. I, I felt like I wanted to go in a different direction. So I think there, there, there are two perspectives here. And one is, and, and I probably mentioned this in the first part, but, you know, having, having one, one in your pocket and one you present is a, is a smart thing to do. Um, you know, quite often I will, I will go off on wherever my brain takes me and then I'll AB and say, um, he's going to hate this. So I better at least do something similar to him with some of these ideas in it. Um, 
and then I'll present him with my idea as an alternative. And and depending on how well you know this guy or or girl, you know they may they may listen to it and think about it, or they may just want it exactly the way they had it. Um, so I think I think I think having you know I mean one of the great things about the way we work today is you can go in a different direction for an hour and get right back to where you were within minutes. And the right. way that I work, quite often I'll just duplicate my ideas within the within the session. I won't even bring up a new section or sometimes I'll just duplicate the whole song further down the timeline and mm. fuck with that, you know? Um, so I think that, that as long as your process is trying to serve the song and, and be creative and be interesting, then I think that that's always something that they should listen to. And, mm. and you can, you know, it's fine to, to sort of polish something they've, they've sent you and make it better and make it interesting or more interesting. Um, but, but if you're, you really want to try something new, that's fine too, but offer it maybe as an alternative. And I think the, the tail end of your question is actually a really important thing to talk about too, because this goes back to that Ricky Martin mix. If it's just like, well, no, what this other guy did was closer. So you're out of here. That situation is ignoring the fact that the mix has to be a collaboration it can't just be mm. like what came out of my head on my first pass is mm. gonna be perfect because if that's the case like well i won't even send it to you i'm just gonna send it straight to mastering right because whatever i yeah, do is right. going to be perfect and like i've said several times already what we do is going to be different every time we do it if they had decided that tony was the guy on that mix he would have nailed it and it would have been huge. And it's not like Tony was the wrong guy. It was just the wrong situation. And nobody in that situation was going to be the person who was going to finish the mix. So mm. I, I think it's it's tough when you're not at a high enough level to just say, look, hire me or whatever. But the shootout thing is a disaster always. It sucks and is completely random. And you don't learn enough from a shootout to actually know if someone's the right person to mix your record. The way you know is you listen to other stuff. Because it's what it... When you talk about, like, taking elements from the rough mix, too, it's the feel of the rough mix. You might actually completely change the drums, but the drums are feeling the way they felt on the rough if that's what you're trying to do. Because when they got to the chorus, it just felt great. It doesn't matter if sonically they're anything like that at the end now it could be that the snare is super important well fine put the snare back to how it was but it's it's how the stuff feels and you don't get to that unless you're a really good listener as an artist getting stuff in a mixed shootout you're not going by feel you're going by like oh, i like the kick drum because none of them are right mm. so anyway blah 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 well, very smart yeah. very good blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, how are you guys doing on time? I'm, I'm getting to the end. Back to work thing. Awesome. All right. Yeah, one more thing to do and then I got to. All right. Well, so let's ask another, another question. Cause also I want to remind everybody that we have a, we have something else to discuss. That's pretty important, sure. timely, and it does involve Tony though. Not, not, uh, not directly, but at the moment I meant directly in the English way of, I'll be there directly, which means soon. 
but it it will. Um, but anyway, so you want to do one more or two more, Things Tony? To uh, uh, one more, and then we'll jump on your thing. I'm okay. I'm texting the baby. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Cool. Okay. Um. All right. Uh, this one's from Jonathan McMillan. And he says, you talked about working in a team and getting new tips and new ideas. What's the newest idea you've incorporated into your mixing? Uh, you know, I think it, it, some, some of them are, are, are just plug-in ideas. Some of them are analog gear. Um, the newest idea probably came from um, uh, I think Stuart, uh, I was talking to Stuart and, um, and he was like, you know, I'm not using a, a limiter on my mix bus anymore, you know? And I was like, Oh fuck, I, I don't know that I can do that. <laughs> um, and so I tried doing it and found that there was an element of fun that I was lacking or that I had missed from back in the day when I didn't have a limiter on my mix, you know, uh, which I don't know how long it's been, but at least 10 years now. Um, so I, I and, and, it, and a level of creativity, I think as well, that that brought, I mean, I still have to strap a, a limiter on there in the end to get the level to where the client is used to hearing it or they'll just hate it because it's lower than the rest. <laughs> Um, but, um, but that, that I think is one of the more recent ones. I think some of the others are, you know, Tyler, Scott, one of my, uh, old, uh, old team members, you know, he'll just shoot me like, have you checked this plugin out, bro? And, you know, um, that, that's another one that, that happens quite a lot and it's quite cool. Um, so it happens in various forms. Mm. Well, I think that that's actually going to be a really good segue because I get all of my plug-in release news from Greg Wells' Instagram because <laughs> yes. he loves new stuff. Yeah, and it's right. great. It's great because he mentions things like um, the, what's the new low-end synthesis plug-in that he was talking about? Is it is it from Leapwing? Um, I can't even remember what it is. Oh, now. yeah. Uh, it has an R in the name. Yeah. I think. And I haven't, I haven't talked about it on his newsletter. I haven't gotten well. the, the, uh, yeah, exactly. Fab mentioned it too. Uh, um, and I haven't downloaded the demo of it, but like, I'm always looking for that. Like when I found low ender and there's a quote from Chad Blake on the website, I thought that's it. I'm sorted. But you know, they all do it in such different ways that it's, I'm always looking for, for stuff like that. So yeah, Greg, Greg Wells, okay. Instagram. So does this bring us to our other to topic? I think uh, it's called Route One. Route One. Uh, Route yes. One. Okay. And it absolutely does. That was a great segue. So look, I'm not going to give any specifics because I, I feel like th th it's important for me not to give too much away. But what I'm going to do right now, and unfortunately, Tony, you're not going to see it because you're not watching the actual stream. I'm going to play a little montage of some of Greg's Instagram posts because I think it's important. So let me, I just got to make it so I can see it because it's important I know when it's over. Um, so here's here's a little montage. Mark, can you send me the link? 
Yeah, yeah. It's a montage of, of, well, Greg's got way too much time on his hands, basically. I, I'm saying. Okay. Man. It's in our chat in the Zoom. Okay. So the the hashtag on every single one of these is you've seen him on a couple of these is uh release the interview <laughs> and i'm not going to respond to that but i just want to get to the end of this what like why am i the wookie i why? <laughs> <laughs> i love the one on top of the tank <laughs> yeah and then when he got Guillaume involved as Curly in the Three Stooges, yeah. one, I think that's when that, Guillaume just lost his mind. He's like, well, that's it. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> so you've seen that, and I've got one thing I will say to that, and one thing only, and this is what I would say to that. That's little Indiana Jones, but it isn't Indiana Jones, is it? It's Indiana Wells. <laughs> Between two shores. That's all I'm going to say. There's going to be, you keep an eye out all week. There's something. And next week, after interviewing Susan Rogers, which should be absolutely amazing. If you don't know about Susan Rogers, do a quick little Wikipedia. And we're going to get into some shit. Because she has made some amazing records. But now she's been teaching for years. And uh, does amazing research into the way humans hear and listen and respond to things. So it's going to be that's going to be really, really good. But then after that, there will be a little something-something to do with everything you've just seen. And that's it. I don't want to say anymore. Tony knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Greg definitely knows what I'm talking about, and I think uh, I think we'll just leave it at that. Is that too, is that all too cryptic, Mark? Awesome. Is that good? Oh, I, I think it's pretty good. I would uh, continue watching Greg's Instagram because who knows what he's going to do. Uh, it's yeah. also probably the best Instagram that's on Instagram. Yeah, it, and, and this is part of why we've waited so long to do what we're doing because it's kept Greg creative and given him something to do because he has nothing else to do with all of his work and children and you know and all yeah. his photoshopping yeah. <laughs> so right right yeah um so y'all it looks like the the chat room's figuring it out um they know the name of the the show yeah well is it a show yeah. you never know <laughs> right true <laughs> um so yeah keep an eye on that keep an eye on the pure mix instagram and uh, you guys will find out what it is. And yeah, also yeah this, should be, this should be a good yeah. week, and it'll be a really, really fun thing at the end of next week's interview. And next week's interview is going to be great anyway. So, Tony, thank you so much for all your time now twice. You, I think added up, you're kind of at one of the longest we've had. Oh, okay. That's, so, that makes you feel better. Yeah, because you, you <laughs> and you know what you get for that is absolutely nothing. Just less time of your own, basically. Well, I get to hang out with you both, and and that's a big deal. And uh, um, and yeah, and chat with everybody. So it was yeah, fun. well, it's been it's been awesome. And I'm I'm gonna try to learn not to do the Chris Farley thing from now on because we'll get to some other stuff. All right, I'm gonna put on the uh, the thanks for watching thing, and that right. will that will do this. So all right, thanks everybody. See you next week. You may have heard some awkward silences towards the end of that. 
they weren't awkward if you had picture. So what was going on there is we were introducing the first episode of Between Two Shores, featuring a very abrasive interview with Greg Wells. If you'd like something a little gentler, please join me for the next episode for a fantastic conversation with Dr. Susan Rogers.